Holman, here's what I'm going to say about Rene Garza, owner of NCT Transport, our guest on this episode. He's a talker and he's a wealth of knowledge. Well, I mean, you know, if he's got a lot to say, I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to hear it because I think this will satisfy the uh, the Toa sweet tooth that our uh, that our listeners have had. Do, do they have a sweet tooth for, for the Toa Yeah, really? yeah. Do you know that we've been talking about the Toa I think since episode two, so for a hundred and forty nine episodes, uh-huh. something like that. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're gonna try and now this isn't the full Toa it's just it's like not really the, a how-to because the snack. toasted would be a, a how-to. I mean, or is it? I, oh, I guess we just have a guy that toasts is. for a living who's going to talk about towing for a living. Yeah, that I think is going to be really interesting for people. And he's opinionated, which I love. Not necessarily. Not when that opinion turns uh, <laughs> toward you. Uh, oh yeah, no, I guess he kind of he's he. he do you think if he thinks I'm a jackass, he'll say it. Hey, that blade cuts both ways. Yes, it does. <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm bleeding, as you can tell. I've, Is it, I've was that from before. Renee? Yes, it was. <laughs> it was. I'm just on the prep call. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And in addition to talking about hot shotting, which is it hot? Is hot shotting a thing? Can you? Shut- Sure. Okay. Okay. I'll right. go with it. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of truck news, which I can't wait for you to get to, because some of it before the show was news to me that you broke to me, and I was like, "That okay?" So that I think there was one uh, thing yeah. about that that you were surprised by. I was. Yeah, so I can't wait to get to that, and I saw so many freaking Instagram photos of you in the Mojave that made me jealous, not just of your cooking. But of you in a so we'll get to that. Okay. I, I won't explain why I I'm tell jealous. you now or later. No, when later. I high centered my Jeep and had to get pulled off. I didn't know that. Oh, all right, moving right along. <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> but first, we have to thank our presenting sponsor, Nissan. Is that because they have a 400 horsepower V8 standard? No, it's because they have zero gravity seats, which are comfy around my keister. Mm. Is it because they have the most standard horsepower and torque in its class? It could be, uh, or the most standard safety technology. That would definitely be high on the list, yes. Or uh, best-in-class standard 8-inch screen and Apple CarPlay integration. Standard. Yeah, that's definitely on the list of top 10 reasons. Uh, how about a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if you're looking for a new uh, half-ton or half-ton-plus pickup truck, or even a midsize for that matter, or a cargo van, head over to NissanUSA.com or down to your local Nissan dealership where you, too, can let the force guide you in your pickup truck buying decision. How did this get all Star Wars-y? I don't know. I think it's from your uh, your sound clip. Oh, yeah. No! No! But I bet your Nissan dealership will say yes. Yes, they will. And so will Decked when you go to Decked.com to get your sliding drawer system for the back of your Titan or your van. You mean the Decked with the new website? Oh, yeah, the one with the animation where the truck bed opens and then water splashes on it to show how weatherproof the deck system is. Yes, that one. Yeah, their uh, new website's pretty cool. You know, here's what I like about it is that without a deck system, you're always reaching over, busting your back, trying to climb in and get all the stuff out of your bed. There is no more of that with a deck system. You just slide the drawers out to you. It's so convenient. And you can accessorize your deck drawer system with a D-bag, a D-box, cross-box, Drawer dividers, locks, and core tracks tie-down points. So if you're looking for a cargo storage organizing solution that keeps your gear safe and dry, head over to the new deck.com. And when you've loaded 2,000 pounds on your deck system and you realize you've got a lot of weight and you're having trouble stopping and you need new brakes, you hit up our friends at Duralast. And their new line of Duralast Elite Brake Pads, which offer better than OE performance, 
with a new advanced signature hex coating that provides an additional transfer layer, delivering smooth stops, low dust, and boost stopping power. And my understanding is that these new brakes will also help you bed into your rotors. And when's the last time you changed the brakes yourself and you had to basically pry the rusted brake pads off of the pistons, off the brake calipers? And they've got a patent-pending coating that provides better protection and premium stopping for the life of the brake pads. Find out all the information on Duralast new brake pads at DuralastParts.com. And what if I wanted to go into a store to buy them? Head on over to your local AutoZone. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck. Because truck rides with truck show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline the truck show the truck show the truck show oh, oh. it's the truck show with your hosts lightning and holman all right holy man are we uh, talking to Renee Garza first, or do we want to break some truck news? What do you want to do? Well, I mean, you did bring up my uh, last couple weeks of prowling the desert. We should talk oh, about that. We're going to talk uh, Mojave Desert. Well, so what did you do? I think in, in a previous episode, you talked about you bought these series of books that uh, was kind of the holy grail of the Mojave Desert yep. and uh, the something-something the trail that's a 300-mile loop or whatever. 700-mile uh, loop. Oh, 700-mile loop. the Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail, so... Okay. Uh, Went out with some friends over uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And your dad. And my dad. Is your dad a good uh, uh, co-pilot? Yeah, except he likes to play with the iPad, which has all the maps on it. When you say play, do you mean like he screws it up and turns it upside down? Well, or? no, he, he, he likes to uh, pinch and zoom, thinks he's helping me, but I'm trying to map out, you know, like where the next turn is and stuff. So I had to like swat his hand away a few times, like, stop doing that. He goes, well, let's see where we are. I'm navigating for eight vehicles. So I'm like, I got to know what's ahead of me. Stop playing with the damn iPad. How did your father-son outing that Lightning wasn't invited on uh-huh. go to there wasn't eight room for you. vehicles? There wasn't, you don't have a four by four. No, but pause, pause. Yes. It wasn't even like an option. It was just, hey, I'm going with my dad. We're going to go off-roading. And yeah. then it became a whole scene. Mm, uh, something like that, yeah. Ooh. That's what I'm saying. Why? Because I'm bummed. Why? It looked really you... like a... Be- it was some of the best weather True. I, we've had in Southern California True. in a long time. Although super cold. Whatever. It's like 30 degrees at night. So it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was gorgeous. The first uh, night was a little windy. Oh the rest God. of the time was great. We did uh, four days, uh, three nights. We mm-hmm. had quite the adventure. We uh, uh, Our group was a little slow the first couple of days. We only averaged about 45, 50 miles a day. And then on the third day, which was way too little mileage, I wanted to cover 330 miles, ended up covering 265 miles. And so I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't do as much, but on Sunday... Everybody bailed out after our fuel up around noon. Oh, I'm going to head home. And I'm thinking, guys, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I took Monday off because I don't want to fight traffic and I want to keep wheeling. Traffic. It's COVID. There's no traffic. Oh, there's a ton of traffic. A ton of traffic. And I'm like, no. uh, Yeah. Coming back from Vegas on uh, the 15th. Maybe Vegas. No, there was a ton of traffic. Hmm. And I'm like, guys, who's with me? And everybody bailed. Except for Kevin Stearns, uh, who races in KOH. He was on the uh, show before. And also my best friend uh, Lawson from AEM. He has a new Land Cruiser, new to him, 96, that we uh, just upgraded. So the three of us went off. And on the last day, after averaging 50 miles for the previous two days, we ended up doing uh, like 140 miles. 
Yeah, buddy. Funny you should play Emmy because she hits me up on Facebook and goes, could Buddy have made it? And I go, uh, this wasn't a trip for Buddy. And she's like, challenge accepted. I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, seriously? Not a trip for Buddy. We would have left Why? Buddy's entrails on the trail. Really? Why? Is, is that rocky? Rocky, rough. You need ground clearance. We'll I got explain, high centered. Let's, we'll just pause. Yeah. Time out. Explain the trail. Uh, so the trail is the Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail. If you're from Southern California or even the Western United States, the Mojave Road is the well-known overlanding trail, one of the premier trails in the United States, 140 miles from the Colorado River to Barstow. And this is a well-manicured trail. Any, no, any no, regular manicured. For, I'm just kidding. But, I'm saying that because I know it's not, right? I mean, it's you could do it in a Subaru Crosstrek. It would suck. You could do it in an Outback or a, something like that or a decent all-wheel drive car. It's not super rough. There's a few places where you need low range and whatnot. Uh, it's well-traveled, and there's a lot of weird vehicles out there. We're like, why is that guy taking that down here, right? But it's it, when you said that, did you talk out of the side of your mouth like you just did now? 100%. <laughs> this guy <laughs> doing here. Uh, the Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail is different. So uh, long story short, back in uh, the 80s, the Mojave Road was uh, developed by a guy named Dennis Casebeer um, out in the Mojave Desert, started the Mojave Desert Cultural Heritage uh, Historical Association, and he planned out this trail called the Mojave Road, which is the original wagon road into California from Arizona, where they had to develop a fort system to protect the mail because Indians were killing people. And so they said, no, this isn't good. We're going to have forts to defend the mail route. And then eventually the trains came and Highway 40 came and well, Route 66 before that and supplemented the Mojave Road as a route. But in the early days, it was a trading route for the Native Americans coming from the coast and from different parts of uh, the Southwest to trade. And, and again, they didn't like that. The uh, white man was there and they would attack and they were very hostile, especially in the beginning. And so this road was developed. And so... Dennis, being a historian, said this would be a great trail so that people don't, for, you know, I could tell the history of it and people don't forget the heritage of, of this area. And he mapped it out. And so he has a mailbox there. And the mailbox, people sign in and leave things at. And the mailbox is there so they can track how many vehicles. So in the 80s, he was getting around 250 vehicles a month. So the BLM went to him and said, hey, um, that's a lot of vehicles. Can you make another route that would take some of the pressure off the Mojave Road? that we could also have out here for people to be on. And so Dennis spent years mapping out the East Mojave Heritage Trail. So if you look at uh, California Desert, and if there's a line that goes from the Colorado River to Barstow, imagine drawing a circle around that. Okay. And the circle is four segments, one, two, three, and four, that are parts of the Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail. So you go from 140 miles to a little bit over 600 miles. Now, that trail was in its infancy, only a couple years old. He had books and published all this stuff. And the 1994 Desert Protection Act was signed into law and basically put wilderness areas right on top of parts of the trail. So Dennis felt like he was betrayed because he was asked to do all this work and they just stripped it away from him. And they him. basically plopped, a, you know, no trespassing on, uh -huh. on top of the road. So he kind of gave up on it and the books went out of circulation and all this stuff. Long story short, a guy by the name of Bill... Can, wait, wait. You can't do two long story shorts in the same... Okay. Medium story long. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Billy Creech asked permission from Dennis, who's still alive. How last, do you remember all these names? Last year said, hey, it's the 30th anniversary of you doing the trail. Would you mind if I worked with the BLM to reopen the trail? I'll do the retrace and routing, and you can sell your books, and I'll do a supplemental with it. And so Dennis said yes. 
Last year, Bill went out and mapped the entire trail, GPS coordinates, supplemental guides to the original books. I hooked up with him. In fact, we should have him on the show. He did all this in a modified avalanche. Oh, wow. And is this all on, like, Onyx? So it's on Onyx. If you uh, if you have Onyx, it is on their segment one, two, three, and 4. So from Needles to, uh, I believe it's Nipton from, or Ivanpah, uh, Nipton to Rocky Ridge, Rocky Ridge to Fenner, and Fenner back to Needles. And so that is basically the route. Well, I and wonder if now, you're uh, from like Tennessee and you're listening to us right now, if you're like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, but if you're into adventure, this is still cool. So now it's almost 700 miles. So we should have Bill on the show because it's a really interesting story of how he basically helped to reopen this trail. And so I got the books and I got the Onyx stuff. And I did a bunch of research and went back and forth with Bill and decided I wanted to take a, a group on the trail. And we saw some amazing things, everything from cemeteries to old cabins to mines. We camped at an abandoned mine one night. Um, what kind of mine? Was it with, with open mine shafts? Copper, open mine shaft like the Coliseum mine, turquoise mine, silver mine, gold mine, uh, we saw lava tubes, lava flows. It was amazing. We uh, we saw a, a bighorn sheep followed us through uh, Afton Canyon. I mean, the whole thing was magical and amazing. Ended up doing over 265 miles on dirt, and uh, it was an experience. So we should have Bill on the show because I think just the story of him opening the trail or working with the BLM is probably worthwhile to the, the people on here who love uh, the overlanding aspect. And uh, it ended up being everything it promised. Uh, if you go to my Instagram, at Sean P. Holman or at Adventure Jeep, ADV Jeep, I've got videos from the trail. I've got videos of hauling butt down desert roads. I've got all sorts of scenery. You can see our trip and, and follow And what along. about uh, high siding? Uh, high centering. High centering. Um, we were in this very narrow I wash. guess you high side on a motorcycle, so you don't really high side. No, you don't high side a Jeep. <laughs> so check this out. This is really interesting. So remember we talked about that coating. That's like Elmer's glue that you paint on the side of your vehicle. And you're like, that's not going to work. Did we talk about it on the show or was it off air? I don't remember. I think we... Was it off air? I don't know. Okay, found this stuff called... Hold on. Our real life and our on-air life? We don't remember. They've they've merged. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's this stuff called Road Warrior Plus that is like Elmer's glue that you buy on Amazon and you have a little tiny paint roller and you roll two coats on the side of your vehicle. And it ends up milky white. No. Oh, doesn't No, no, it dries clear. Okay. It just looks like a bad orange peel paint job when you're done. Okay. And so people use it for track days and things like that on their Mustangs and Camaros. And I saw a video and it showed them scratching a painted panel after they applied this stuff with a screwdriver and it didn't scratch the paint underneath. So I went, well, Bill told me his avalanche went from shiny black to matte black after doing this trail. That's how bad the scratches were. And I'm like, ah, they can't be that bad. Holy crap. So it's just all the scrub brush I, and manzanita I, or whatever We're talking else about uh, two okay. feet of clearance on the road and just hearing, <laughs> in fact, I have a video on my Instagram where you can hear the scratches. Like driving on the uh, Mojave Heritage Trail, get used to uh, not caring that much about your paint. Ugh. Yeah, that hurts a little bit. Yeah, so uh, that was painful. Imagine doing that for miles. And I see the next miles. Uh, the next Instagram post is uh, is your door, and it's got scrapes on it, <laughs> and then uh, horizontal scrapes, and then vertical scrapes, diagonal scrapes, uh-huh. uh, some mud, yeah. some dirt, some debris. It didn't look healthy for your paint. So I peeled a corner off today, and uh, paint looks beautiful underneath. No way. Yeah, so uh, it didn't it go through. It works. Uh, so I'm going to do a video uh, tomorrow probably of getting it off. You wet it and pull, peel it off in a sheet, and uh, apparently it saved my Jeep. But 
I do have to tell you, my local Jeep dealership called me and said, thanks for responding to the survey. And they said they'd offer me a free detail before the end of the year. And I go, how about uh, the first week of December after all my off-roading trips? So <laughs> Good timing. E- either way, I win. Uh, so anyway, this, uh, this trip uh, was pretty awesome. I think the uh, paint protection stuff worked. And uh, if you uh, head you over- You put it on with a roller. A little tiny roller. That's just tiny bizarre roller. that but, it worked. Yeah. It sounds totally- You, you were against it. it you sounds said no like way. sham wow. You know right. what I mean? Like the Snake guys, oil. Yeah, right? And it was awesome. Well, I don't think I was against it. I No, I think we were in the parking lot a couple nights ago when I said, let me know if this stuff works. No, it looked, but you-, you It looked kind of scammy. Yeah, I agree. But you were against it when I first brought it to your attention. You looked at it. And I'm like, watch this video. This dude with a Mustang does it. So Well, no, I think what I didn't understand is the water release mechanism. Yeah. Because I understood, like, and then also, if it goes on and it's rubbery, well, anything that's rubbery can be scraped off with your fingernails. But it doesn't. It's but weird. But it doesn't. So how? I don't know, man. All I know is that it, it seems to have saved me uh, thousands and thousands of dollars well, of paint damage. We, we, just, we need to get the inventor on the phone. They don't even have a social account. Oh, so I can I, find so it. I need to find I'm these people. I'm a sleuth. I, well, right. if you can't, I'll find right. them. We, we, need to, we need to find these people because this could be huge for our truck guys. So, uh, trip was awesome. So, the high centering, going back to that question, uh, I was trying to avoid a bi- giant tree. So, I went up on this, and we're in a riverbed, and it was like a slot canyon that was maybe, I don't know, 15 feet wide. And I went out on a rock outcropping, and it turns out on the other side of the rock was a giant hole. And I landed right on my front and rear diffs at the same time as my tire went in the hole, and threw it in for low range in reverse, and locked it in. Yeah, I was rocking. I was literally all of the weight of the vehicle was on my skid plates and frame, and I uh, had to get yanked out. And uh, so I'll post that video this week as well. And how many scrapes on the belly of the? Uh, Jeep? Oh, I don't care about that because that actually shows I used it. No, it's 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 guts. I I'm going to go back with a black paint can after it's clean and just touch them up so they don't rust. But gotcha. uh, I, I hit the whole underside, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> except the Jeep skid plates work great. I didn't scrape my drive shaft. I didn't hit my exhaust or my oil pan. You know, it is they what it worth, is. worth the money. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the uh, the trip was epic. It was uh, absolutely stunning. The scenery was amazing. The places we saw, the his- the history. We had go fast parts for doing 55, 60 miles an hour in the Jeep. Uh, what? Play this clip real quick. Wow, that sounds good. That's the AEV snorkel. No kidding. Yeah. Man, you're moving. You're doing... uh, Probably 50. Yeah. Oh, that desert scenery is just so beautiful. Oh, drop off. Ooh, whoa! You got a little bit of air right there. Like kind of a sandy wash you're going through. And you're not following anyone. No, You're making the line. Having fun. Wow, that looks like fun. Well, so that was a stock yeah. exhaust with just the AV snorkel making all that induction noise. But uh, basically, I, I've got I was going 50 miles an hour. This is what blows my mind about the setup with the 37s, two and a half inch AEV lift, 37 inch BFGs, and Bilstein 5100s. This is their base package, not the upgraded shocks because they're not out yet. Stupid COVID, and uh, I don't have reservoirs. And I was able to do that. And uh, our buddy Kevin Stearns, who is a, a KOH racer, was behind me in the ZR2. And he's like, that thing's not bad for a you know solid axle Jeep. Right. And uh, obviously he got was able to open it up with the ZR2 and be way faster. But I mean, we were um, in a wash at one point, and I was probably doing about fifty to fifty-five in the wash. 
and he gave me about a minute head start. And at the end of this wash, which is like four miles long, he was just catching up to me. And it was funny because I had to stop because there was a road and he thinks I'm stopping because I'm waiting, you know, I'm going to wait for him and he's going to blow by me, right? Uh-oh, uh-oh. And he comes in hot and he's like 15 seconds behind me and he's like, yeah, I got you, I got you. And then he hits his brakes because he two foot drives and he went sliding right on past me because of all his brake fade. And did he go right in, in through the road? No, no. He was still about 10 feet short of the road, but we were laughing because, man, that thing stunk like brakes like you wouldn't believe. And, and I was like... You didn't catch me. <laughs> so anyway, we had a great time. Uh, and then the week before that, we had Four Wheelers Overland Adventure. So we did 300 miles of dirt with 72 people and 40 vehicles in Arizona. But we don't get to know more about it because it's secret, right? That was awesome. No, why would it be secret? It's all over at Four Wheeler Mag. Go check it out. Huh. The thing that's cool about that is you know my love of aviation. No, I've never heard about your love of uh, planes or submarines. I am working on getting one of the participants from Four Wheelers Overland Adventure 20 on this podcast. Wait a minute. This is the guy that you texted me about that flew the stealth bomber? No. Oh, this is the guy. Let me start again. (laughs) This is the Uh guy that uh, flew a B-52 bomber in World War II. Close. This is a guy that was a helicopter (sighs) pilot in Nam. This is a guy that built a Jeep (laughs) J-20. Okay. Vintage J20 long bed. Yes, that's as an, cool. As an Overland vehicle. Sure, but it's I understand. awesome. But he flew something and, that was amazing. And he's going to talk about it. Okay. Because it's so cool to see a vintage Overland build. Amazing. So we're sharing a campsite with him or campfire. We're right next to each other. We get to talking. And it's casually mentioned that he is the last SR 71 pilot. SR 71. Flew the SR 71, flew the U 2, flew the B 52. And was a Wizzo on the F-111 Aardvarks and had a storied career in the Air Force and is currently a Southwest captain working on getting the 737 MAX back flying. Really cool guy, loves off-roading, loves overlanding, loves sailing, loves flying. And I'm like, would you like to uh, be on our podcast? And he Did goes, he give you his phone number? I have his phone number. Uh, well We've been texting. Just stop talking about it and just book him. No, no. I, I sent him the link. And so I hopefully in the next few episodes, I just thought it would be a real treat for uh, our listeners to get a guy like him on. We're gonna we're bringing him on the front door with the J-20 Overland build, because that's just rad. Gotcha. And then we're totally going to spend an hour talking about the <laughs> SR-71. No. Because that's how we roll here at the Truck Show Podcast. <sighs> okay, well, I'm excited in advance. Uh, you, don't, you don't sound very excited. I'm a little bit excited. What if I told you that he told me a story of the time he was doing a mission over Iraq in a U-2? And the U-2 has a van that tracks it, so it always has, you know, what the telemetry of the U-2 is. And there's a little antenna that sticks out of the U-2, and uh, somebody may have hit a switch with their knee, mm-hmm. and for a while they couldn't find the U-2, and he's like, guys, when can we start the mission? Sir, we got to get this uplink. And he may have admitted to me that he possibly realized the error of his ways, quietly flipped on the switch right before the mission was about to start, and they went, oh, we got you. You're good to go. <laughs> so, I think we just heard the story. Uh, there's, I hope he has other stories. There's, more, there's lots of stories. Anyway, <laughs> okay, uh, very cool guy. But uh, speaking of storytelling, uh, we have Rene Garza, who is a how – how could we put this? I don't know if I would call him a hotshot driver, although I guess he I, is. I feel like a hotshot – is is maybe not beneath him, but it's just like a lower level. Yeah, he's right. He's somewhere in between a hotshot and a semi truck driver. A lot of experience, a lot to talk about. 
And he's pulling loads that have a combined weight of 46,000 pounds. That might be a little bit much for a 3500 series GMC Denali with a Duramax. What? Dial him up. Hello. Yo, Mr. Rene Garza, Lightning and Holman Truck Show Podcast. What's happening? Hello, how you guys doing? We're great. Thank you for staying uh, up late. We know it's a little a little late for you on the East Coast. We've got a quick intro, so don't move. Pull up a stool and share. Pull up a stool and share a story. Pull up a stool and share. How about you pull up a stool and share with us? Now, Holman, it's been a while since we've had a uh, a professional in the trucking industry sure. on the show, and we had a hot shot a couple, yeah, I don't know, maybe a hundred episodes ago or something <laughs> like that, which <laughs> sounds crazy. Long? Wow, yeah, it has been that long. So I ran into Renee online, and we kind of became fast friends. And he is not afraid. You know, when you you're like you're standing on a cliff, and you're like, who's going to jump into the lake down below? And one of the guys is like, I'm not afraid. Renee is that guy. He's Renee that guy. is Renee is not afraid. And so he is out there, and I think what attracted me to him was that he's, he's giving devilishly uh, good looks. I don't know if it was his good looks. That he likes long walks on the beach. Uh, I'm not aware of that. We're not that type. <laughs> that he has a uh, really nice uh, Chevy Dually that he crisscrosses the country. In. It is gorgeous. actually a GMC. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to be wrong here. And uh, no, it's that it's that he is out there and uh, he's really active on Instagram and, and Twitter and whatnot. And he's and a lot of guys who are young upstarts in the industry. Anybody with a truck thinks they can get into it. And he's like, hold your horses, buddy. Pump your brakes. Let me explain. Wait. All right. Well, first. The first question we have to ask you is the number one question that this will determine if you are, in fact, a real trucker. I mean, I'm looking at your resume here, and it's like, you know, from Alaska, 26 years of ice road trucking. We got to get into that. A rig mechanic that graduated from UTI, driven rigs all over the world. Do you have a darker left arm than your right arm? Because that's (laughs) how we can tell. My trucker 10? Yes. Yep, he got it. He nailed it. I uh, I knew a uh, a guy once who was a hot shotter, and he uh, had a Ford uh, Power Stroke that he towed trailers around the country. And it was funny because I didn't know what he had done at the time. I just was admiring his truck one day. I went, oh, look at this old truck. This is this is a pretty cool truck. And I noticed that where the uh, bottom of the sill for the driver's window was, Mm -hmm. was polished to a mirror-like finish. (laughs) And I asked him, I go, wow, man, you got some paint wear here. He goes, that's from my arm. (laughs) He was proud. He was proud. I have the same mark, but it's from my left knee. On my door, on my door panel. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, so Renee's setup. I've seen his truck in person, and he has it's. He's got a wardrobe in the back seats because, of course, it's a four door. Sure, right. He's got the wardrobe in the back, but the front seat is all electronics. It's a laptop. It's more, dude. It's the space more, shuttle. More electronics than I have in my uh, overlanding rig. And you got a lot. It's obnoxious. How and, and yeah, this he puts you to shame. I mean, it's all the. I don't know what all the devices do. I mean, they're they're all trucking at scales, and we'll get into that, but. The question Holman asked: What the hell with forty six thousand pounds? Like, yeah. let, let's start. With let's the start big there, question and then first. we'll work our way down. Because I know your truck, a, a twenty nineteen GMC thirty five hundred Dually. I'm assuming that you have a two wheel drive truck. Is that correct? No, sir. Four wheel oh, drive. Four wheel drive. Oh, okay. All right. Well, your gross combined uh, weight rating is around thirty one thousand pounds. It depends. Uh, I think it's thirty one thousand one hundred for four wheel drive and thirty one three hundred or something like that. How the hell are you carrying? 
6,000 pounds more than half a semi. I'm a portion for 46,000. In one of your shows there with ATS, uh, uh, Lightning, he had mentioned that I do 46,000 only out of, or 44 only out of Texas. I'm a portion for 46 throughout the whole United States, Canada, and Alaska. So even even coming out of California, I've come out of California weighing 46,000 pounds, just so you know. But Goliath is what I've named my truck, and I and I got scale tickets that show 48,000 and change. Oh, and that's my all, God. And, and that's only because the broker lied on what the load weighed, and uh, the shipper, Oops. when I left, the shipper was already was closing, and by the time I got to the nearest truck stop 10, 12 miles down the road, to get a cat scale, I was at 48 and change. And so, and it was a Friday and there was no sense in turning back. And, Did you drive in circles and, around the truck stop burning off fuel so you could get it under <laughs> underweight? Well, it, I mean, I could have been empty. I mean, that would have just maybe shed a thousand pounds and, and I'm a port for 46. So I was still, I was still over by 2000 pounds. And, and I had 1100 miles to go. I, I had to deliver this load in, uh, in Louisiana. And so I drove and avoided 1,100 miles worth of scales, which, you know, technically is not legal. And what I was hauling wasn't legal. And to answer your question. Uh, <laughs> I'm, Were you hauling I'm ass? A, <laughs> did I tell you he wasn't afraid? I, Renee is not afraid. I have a T-shirt that says, <laughs> Renee is not afraid. <laughs> well, the, the load that I'm hauling now is 16 wide, and I'm 44,000 pounds. Yeah, so that can't 60- be good for fuel economy. <laughs> Do you have a pilot car no. with you? Uh, two, a uh, front and rear escort. And then once I get into Vermont, I have to have police escorts. And so, so that's going to. I've always wondered, Renee, when you have a pilot car, are those people you know? Do you have beers at the end of the day and high five each other? You're like, oh, dude, Bob again, this guy sucks. Or you just end up getting whoever's assigned to you. No, uh, you, you hire them just like they hire me. So th- they actually have load boards where you hire escorts. You have a high pole escort if you have a tall load and they got a pole. Renee, up. I heard those were, <laughs> Renee, I heard those were called lot lizards. Is that true? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you have those at the truck stop, yes. <laughs> oh, different kind of, uh, of board. They got it. Right. Yes. Yeah, different kind of boards. But uh, So, no, you hire these guys and they tell you their rates. Some of them are $1.50 a mile and some are up to a $1.80 a mile and and I have to pay these guys. And so they're under contract. And, you know, before I even get paid, I got to pay them because depending if, you know, if they're only doing, you know, uh, individual states, because some of them aren't certified to go through all the states. So, Renee, I want to re- rewind to a couple sentences back. It, forgive the dumb question. What does apportioned mean for all of us non-truck drivers? What does that mean technically to the, the I don't know, whoever gives you the apportionment, <coughs> Ning? <laughs> whatever it's called. <laughs> okay, so I'm a portion for 46000 out of Texas. Texas don't care what you portion your vehicle for because it's money. The higher you portion it, the more money it's going to cost. It's it's part of your registration, so your license plate is considered money. So if you were to sell your truck or get rid of the business, that plate is a it's it's prorated for for so many months, and and it's and it's still it's still valuable. If there's still four or five months out of the year, that plate still has money on it, and so. I'm a port for 46. Most hotshots generally only apportion themselves for 40,000. And because my truck is air ride, I have 16 ply tires. My gooseneck is air ride, the shocker. And then my trailer is air ride, and it's 44 long, where most of them are only 40. And so, I, you know, I, I'm able to scale a little bit more weight than the general guy. And I've done up to 27 wide loads. I've done 180, 200 foot long loads. I've done 180,000 pounds. 
um, you know, I was pulling doubles in Alaska that were 100, 165 feet long, 170,000 pounds. So, you know, I've, I've done doubles, triples, tankers. I mean, you know, I got my hazmat endorsement, you know, so when it comes to, you know, 16 wide, you know, it's not a big deal. Like I said, I've done 27 wide, you know, from Texas to Arizona, taking some uh, dump beds to a mining operation. And so, you know, and anything above 27, they cut them in half and then they weld them and bolt them together on the job site. So 27 is the cutoff because you're basically almost guardrail to guardrail at that point. But did we get Holman's question answered about like the the apportionment and oh, how the, it relates? Yeah, and and, and, so, and how it relates to uh, uh, p- pulling weight that's over what that, the vehicle's rated. Yeah, that. So again, they don't care what you apportion it for. That becomes if you get in an accident and they involve the attorneys and they're like, "Hey, you're overweight," and, you know, then that that that's why we have a million dollar policy and and everything else. So uh, an 18 wheeler is a portion for 80,000 pounds, which is 34, 34, 12. So each tandem axle can hold 34,000 pounds. The steer axle can hold 12, you know, 46,000 is what I'm a portion for. But again, each state is a little different. Some of the boys in the East coast can only go up to 40,000, no matter what, you know, for a hot shot, Texas, again, it's money. So whatever you want to apportion it for, you know, uh, 46 was, I, I, I was planning on never to, you know, not doing anything over 42, 43,000. Cause I mean, that's come on. It's, you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. And, you know, and, but I've done up to 48, just cause like I said, brokers lie and whatever they can more money in, the, in their pockets, you know, and they, they say it weighs less and then you cross the skip. And I can pretty much tell when I'm getting loaded just by squatting in my truck, the trailer is like, Hey, this, this is more weight than what he said, you know, and, and then he's not answering his phone. Cause he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to shell out any more money. Cause it's 2000 pounds heavier, or, you know, than what he, what he claimed it was. And, and so now your $2 a mile should have been, you know, three or $4 a mile. Cause you're hauling more than what, what you should have been hauling to begin with, you know? So going back to my question <laughs> real quick, before we move forward on the pilot cars, when you say that they're a dollar 50 or a dollar 80 a mile, do you have to pay for the round trip for those guys, or is that only on the trip where they're escorting you? Only on the escort portion, so uh, loaded miles. They have to deadhead because they're not going to be – like right now I'm in West Virginia, and there's there may not be anybody here, and I have to deadhead to pick up a load at times, and I try not to deadhead no more than 150 miles. So these guys will deadhead to come to me so we can get back on the road, and so I only pay them the loaded miles. And then I also have to pay their hotel nights every night, which is $65 a night. And so I have to pay hotels and then their, their loaded miles. It's not a very nice room. It's yeah, I was going to say, bucks, that's, right? that's Motel 3. Well, you know what it is? Maybe, it, it, I mean, places you know, in the Midwest, maybe maybe that's a reasonable room. California, certainly not, you know, in, in the East so, Coast. So how do you well, it's a $65 rate that I pay. So oh, if it's an $80 it. hotel, they're, I'm only paying $65. Gotcha. They bill me for that. They're paying for the room. And some of them will sleep in their vehicle just to put that extra money in their pocket, you know. And But at the end, they give me their bill. And per night, it's $65 for the hotel plus the, the mileage. And one of my escorts, his odometer didn't work, and he went off of Google Maps, and he added 50 here and 50 there. And I'm like, dude, I'm paying you the loaded miles that I drove because I got an electronic logbook, my ELD, and it doesn't lie. It's hooked to satellite. You're going off my odometer because, you know, that, that's part of your job. And if your odometer don't work, you need to fix it, you know. I, and, and he's going off of Google, and that, that's the way the crow flies. And when we're, we're doing oversize, you're going out of route miles, you know. And so – Anyhow, he tried to give me a thousand dollar bill when it was only five hundred dollars, and he was way off on his numbers. 
And you're like, uh, hold on, I've got a, a barrel I can hide you in in this next load. <laughs> yep, not afraid. No one will know if you're only 250 pounds over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, do the Alaska divorce, two guys go fishing, one come back. <laughs> <laughs> and so what happens when you cross the scales and and you're well, you're under your what you're apportioned for, but don't they look at the vehicle and go, well, hey. In California seems to be really strict because if you're over what? Uh, is it 24? I can't remember what the combined, but well, you, it ends up being a big deal. You need a commercial driver's license. But I guess I don't know what happens in the stratosphere of towing uh, with a one ton. You know, when you said commercial license, so you do need a CDL and anything over 20, 26,001 pounds is CDL. Anything under that is non-CDL hot shots. And so some of those... Uh, Scale masters, and I'm not saying all. Oh, some of those aren't uh, privy to all the rules for the for the hot shots because it's such a new industry, and they're all getting noted up. and And so some of those guys, what they end up doing is they go they go off of your tire uh, ratings to see what the ply is because they don't know exactly the the axle ratios and everything else on, on a vehicle on the trucks. And so, even when I was 48,000 pounds, I only had 14,000 pounds on my drive axles on my dually. You know, it's all on the trailer. It, and a lot of these guys that are doing this that are in the industry, and I try to help and educate these guys, and, you know, they don't know weight distribution and, and, and where to put the weight on the trailer. It's any you, you got to put it in front of the axle. When you were a kid and you rented a U-Haul, dad always said put the weight over the axles, and that's what they're doing. They're putting all the weight over the axles or behind the axles, and they own 40 foot of real estate, and they're not using it because they're doing what dad said. And and now you're doing a wheelie. I mean, you ha- you're basically hydroplaning. Oh, on lightning knows. Because- yeah, yeah, he did yeah. that. <laughs> I did that on a yeah. bridge somewhere in the on the east coast, and we were pulling a. Uh, we had a Harley and a sidecar, and, and it started raining, and I was supposed to ride the Harley and the sidecar all the way across the the country and it was pouring down it was it was like hailing on us we're like all right we're gonna pull it onto the safety trailer that we had the guy was was tailing us we pull it on and we put it too far towards the nose and the whole we were going across a bridge that is grated right so the 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 wind can come up not grated 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 with a t grated and and the wind comes up and it moved the truck a little bit and he hits the he hits the brakes and we go up in the air. And now the front wheels are off the ground and we're in the middle of a bridge with low sides and I th- and we have no control to go left and or right. In future you went, I should have told old me about Renee a lot sooner. Oh my god. And and so we luckily he came off the gas really slow and it just barely just touched <laughs> down and I was absolutely petrified. I, I, I try to educate these guys and tell these guys constantly, and I'll get guys, well, I've been doing this for seven years. I'm, well, you've been effing up for seven years, cause, <laughs> and you've only gotten away with it because you're, you're down south. I said, you do that same thing up north where I'm from, you'll be in the ditch in five miles, you know? I said, it's just, it's unsafe. You're fishtailing. You got all the way back there, you know? And they just, they they don't get it. And and what I, okay, so when I start telling them and trying to educate them, I said, okay, if you don't understand how this works and you don't believe me, a scale ticket don't lie. Go get a tear weight. Go see what your truck and trailer weight together combine, you know, loaded to fuel and all that. And know what your numbers are, your steers, your drives, and your trailer. And then when you get loaded, go get another uh, scale ticket and see. When they get loaded, they might have put 50 to 100 pounds of steer steer weight. And that's it. When I was 48,000 pounds, I had 250 more pounds uh, of weight on my steer axle. That's it. You know, so you need to put that weight for, and that weight was distributed all the way across my trailer at that time. 
all 44 foot of my trailer was being used. And, you know, so it was all dispersed. These guys are doing it and they're only putting weight over the tandems of the trailer. And that means there's nothing on the steer axle. I mean, zero, none. And then of course, these guys are getting into the industry. They're, they're running six of the same tires on a dually. And it's like, when you're doing this stuff, you got to treat it like a big truck. You put steer tires, drive tires, and trailer tires. And these guys are putting drive tires on their steer axles. And it's like, that's not how that works, you know? They, they don't get, well, the dealer didn't do that. Well, the dealer don't, they think you're going to go to church and back. They don't, you know, these guys, like <laughs> you guys were talking about in your last episode, you know. And if you're carrying the kind of weight, you should be going to church if you're loading it wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. You know, and in your last episode, one you were talking about, you know, these guys uh, buy these Cummings, uh, Parshokes, Duramaxes, and they're, they're hauling their jet skis. And, you know, cause you're talking about the death fluid, you know, and, and, uh, you know, crystallization and all that, cause they're not driving it. They're not working it. They're, you know, idling it and all this stuff. Well, those guys, they can get away with running six of the same tires. Cause they're not, you know, on the interstate. I, I haven't been home in 19 months, you know, and, and so I've, I've been, you know, I do 10,000 miles a month, you know? And so, I, and I just bought new sets of tires for my truck and trailer. That was almost $5,800 for 14 new tires. You know, and I got 16 ply on the truck and 14 on the trailer. And I got 115,000 miles out of my, um, on my old tires, you know? And so, and there's a difference when you run steers and drives. And then these guys say, well, what about rotation? Well, you don't rotate dually tires. And if you do, you go left to right, not front to rear, you know? And so, and these are commercial 19 and a half inch wheels. And that's the only way you're going to get a 14 or 16 ply tire. The most you're going to get on a 17-inch wheel is a 10-ply. And from what I understand, Ford's coming out with a new 12-ply, but I don't think they're available to the public yet. And that's going to be the most you can get for a 17-inch wheel. But again, you know, if you're going to haul these kind of weights, and a lot of these hot shots, you see them on the sides of the roads constantly. It's because they're having blowouts, and they're buying automotive-type tires to do a commercial job. And, you know... They're just doing it incorrect. And I, and I get everybody's got, you know, baby steps. You got to start one, you know, start slow, but, you know, put the money back into the business and buy the right proper tires. And that way you're not on the side of the road with blowouts. So why a GMC one ton dually and why not a medium duty truck? And is your follow-up well, going to be, uh, why not a Ram? Because no. it seems like, well, you and I have had this conversation before, and Ray, Renee's probably heard it on the podcast, where we see, we go across the country, and to you and I, it seems like we see a lot of Rams. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so I'm more interested, I think all three of the platforms have their advantages. I think there there's good things and bad things about all of them. Obviously, for the weights he's towing, the uh, the, the Duramax engine is is a great choice. But I'm just curious, why, why not a medium duty? Why the one ton? Well, to be honest with you, when I, okay, I just came off, you know, working for Carlisle Trucking in Alaska, you know, hauling crude oil doubles, you know, tanker. Um, and I was doing 80 hours a week up in Alaska. And my daughter, I bought, I bought the Duramax Goliath and I custom ordered it through Daysmith and, and Kellogg, Idaho. They're the number one Alaska dealer in Idaho. And I got it for $10,000 less buying it there than in Alaska. And it cost me $100,000 for the truck. I custom ordered everything on it and it was going to be my going to work and going to church truck. And I put the transfer flow fuel tank, the undercoating under, uh, under the truck. I mean, all this, I mean, fab four bumpers, you name it. I put everything on. It was a hundred grand for, for the truck. And that, and that also was 
if anything ever happened to the truck, that was on the loan. You know, a lot of guys will pay 60,000, put 40,000 on it. They get stolen. You get 60,000 for the truck because yep. you didn't get it appraised and, right. and insured for the value of the truck. So mine was insured for the hundred thousand dollar truck. So that's why I did what I did. But anyhow, I bought that truck because it was going to go to church and back. Well, then my daughter got pregnant and I was in Alaska. She was in Texas. Initially, I was planning on buying a medium size, uh, you know, class six, class seven, you know, Duramax and doing this. And uh, but this was the truck that I had at the time. So I converted it into the hotshot that it is today to come down and and help my daughter at the time that she needed help. And so so I I put it to work, you know, when it was just going to go to, you know, take me to work and back. Now, if you're doing 10,000 miles a month, so 120,000 miles a year. At what point do you get the next truck? I mean, do you run them till they're a million, five hundred thousand, until services? You know, uh, there's no, there's a, I guess the delta of uh, diminishing returns on on services and things like that, where it just is getting too expensive. At what point, as a business owner, do you say, "Well, time for a new truck"? Okay, well, according to the information on Duramax, they're good for three hundred fifty thousand miles of the engine. So initially, I planned on. Having it right now, like I told you, it was a hundred thousand dollars. I owe under forty thousand on it, and uh, so I plan on. I was making double payments, so when the three hundred fifty thousand miles came up, and and it was time to buy a new truck, I would get a new truck, and that way I wasn't carrying the loan over. Well, since I've been out here in it doing what I'm doing, and the truck is holding up beautifully, I decided at that point why buy a new truck because it cost me a hundred grand. I put thirty five thousand dollars down on it. Come 350,000 miles, I'll put a new motor and a tranny in it and start all over again because the, the truck itself, the condition of the truck, the appearance of the truck, I you know, you could eat off of it the way I maintain it, the way I take care of it. And I just put $1,000 Bilstein shocks on it the with the extra reservoirs. I mean, I you know, the, the Amsoil bypass filter kit, you know, the bank's differential cover, you know. So I've done things to the truck to move it right along to, you know, longevity. So I would run it until it, be, you know, became uh, where I was dumping more money into it. And then I would replace the motor and tranny instead of buying another truck. So to answer your question, I don't think that I would be replacing it anytime soon. I would just put a new motor and tranny in it and I would add to my inventory that way. So the next truck, I would buy another truck and then, ha- you know, have another truck and then get another one and so forth. But I actually plan on selling my business and I'm moving to England. That's where my, my fiance is at and we're opening up a bed and breakfast and I'm after 2 million miles. Um, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the country and going to where she's at and uh, calling it quits. All right. Let after me just, uh, years. two, two questions. By the way, Holman, you didn't expect that. There's no way you expected. No, I did. It was in his bio. They sent us. Oh, he, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he gave so no I, I, just, I want two things. Uh, <laughs> first, I want to warn you about uh, English uh, food. It's horrible. Um, they don't know how to cook eggs. I'm a chef. He's, that, oh, uh, see, you didn't know that. So what I was going to say is please bring your culinary arts to England because they need about five minutes on every hamburger, and they would be pretty good, and they need at least another two to three minutes on their scrambled eggs. The, they do have good bread. Uh, and they have good beans over there, but mm-hmm. the rest of it is like uh, not the sausage is mealy, and everybody's like, "Do you have to have a traditional English bre- breakfast?" And every I time I go there, 
super disappointed. So I, I just have to throw that out there. Sorry, I know we have a lot of UK listeners, and I'm sorry, but you guys need to cook whoa, your food whoa, longer. Wait, 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 just, just to, we got we got to do the uh, the aside here because I don't know if you. Are know they going to play the I'm sorry bit oh, here because we're apologizing to oh, the UK? Oh, okay, since we just offended we are the entire country. Sorry. Oh, my, my, we're sorry. Well, sorry. like I said, it's a good thing I know how to cook. Yeah, so, please. We're I'm, sorry. Can, can you teach some people over there? Because I, I really wanted to like the food, and I was just every meal was a little bit disappointing for me. And like the hamburger I had was just, it just, it was not. Here's one thing, right. Renee. I don't know about you. What's your, what's your, uh, your, your specialty? Because Holman's over here is Dr Pepper barbecue sauce on short ribs. Is that no, it? No brisket. B- uh, brisket. Sorry, yes. brisket. Before I answer that, that's why they're that's why they're so thin over there, Holman. You know, because their food's not that great. They're not like us here in America. You know, maybe I need to go uh, have specialty, the uh, UK diet. Yeah, my special. Well, I I cook. Uh, you know, I'm I'm Hispanic, so I cook really good Mexican food. But I like to cook Indian food, uh, the curries. I do I do uh, Thai food. Uh, Wait, hold on, Renee. Chinese my food. my wife is Mexican. And so uh, our family, I have access on a regular basis to unbelievable family Mexican food. Now, are you in the more like uh, making the fried tacos or are we talking like menudo or what's what's your favorite Mexican uh, dish? Uh, fajitas, uh, tacos, you know, it, it, yeah, anything that I can put on a cast iron skillet. Oh, that's you know, the way um, right there. Cast iron. Cast iron yeah, Mexican yeah. food is Awesome, that's that's yeah. my uh, that's the way to go right there. Right. I'm on but, board, uh, but you you don't get a chance to do this much on the road. I mean, you, you unless you get one of those like kitchenettes in a in a and you've got all the pots and pans, which I didn't see any of that stuff. They in make your, an in eight inch skillet in a single burner Coleman stove. Well, what's he gonna do? Sit out in a, like a in a you know, at a rest You're stop? You're hungry, and, sure. Crack a couple eggs hey, and some bacon. Hey, you are you hit the nail on the head, Lightning. I I I have not cooked in 19 months, but I do have a jet boil, and uh, <laughs> you know when. Things things get horrible just like they did few few months back here during the pandemic where you know the truck stop restaurants were closed and stuff and we had to fend for ourselves. The MREs came in handy and the jet boil and being able to brew my own coffee anywhere whenever I needed to, you know, was was quite handy. But other than that, no, I have not cooked any of my Mexican uh, normal meals that I'd like. You know, the fajitas and uh, yeah, I I just. I, you know, I miss doing all that stuff. And like I said, I love cooking Indian food, you know, and so I, I have not been able to do anything in 19 months. So it'll be great to get back off, get off the road. And, and I've gained weight being on the road because I'm not real physical either, you know, because huh. you're, you know, I, I always We've gained weight doing this day. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just <laughs> this evening. Eating pizza and drinking Dr. Peppers in <laughs> yeah. the studio I've, at all I've hours. I've got through two Dr. Peppers during the show already. Yeah. It's a little yeah, high I can, for, t- uh, I can yeah. tell. I know. Do I look bloated? <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel bloated. Yeah. Uh, so wait, uh, we need we need to pause here and not go further down the uh, the culinary. The rabbit. Road. Why? And, well, I, I, what if I have one more culinary question? Okay. All right. So I drive cross country a few times a year, right? Probably two, three times. And I, you know, I have a love of Waffle House, uh, so I always stop at Waffle House when I can. But it seems like truck stops only have three options across the country. There's a few mixed in there, but it's like Wendy's. Arby's or Subway. That seems like that's basically all there is at all the major ones. If you had to go to the emergency fast food, Renee, which one are you choosing? Uh, well, Carl's Jr. 
<laughs> Carl's Jr. I'm I'm down with Carl's Western Bacon Cheeseburger. Hardee's, Carl's Jr. Yeah. You'll find those at the Love's Truck Stop. But Fresh b- you're right. It used to. I mean, the major truck stops used to have you know mom and pop yeah, restaurants in them, and now sure. they're all fast fast food chains. And and now and then you might find a a, a Huddle House or a Denny's, but but the Petros and and uh, TAs they still have the Iron Skillet. And, yeah, those and are good. Country, country Pride, but those are the only truck stops that do all the other. Flying J's and, and Loves, they have, you know, all the fast food chains. Can, can I ask you another trucker question before we move on about truck stops? Because I've always wondered this. There have been times where I'm crossing the country towing something, and I'm in a, you know, a diesel truck or something like that, and I'll pull up to the trucker lane if they're not totally full, because I don't want to be rude, but the nozzles are, are bigger and you get to fill up your tank faster. But there's times where I've taken up a slot along the trucks to take a nap or whatever, do you guys frown on that? Are you like, who's this a-hole with this little tiny truck blocking my yeah. my spot? Is that how that works? Yep, yep. we certainly do. Only <laughs> we certainly do. Because I, I always sleep with a knife in my hand just in case one of you bastards so, come at so, me. So he looks down from his <laughs> truck. And he looks down from his truck and says, Try again. <laughs> no, I don't think that's what he, he says. Goes, another, get, choose another spot, buddy. <laughs> yeah. That's what he's thinking. Yeah. I've been oh, that guy. Dude. I've definitely been that yeah, guy. Yeah, you're that guy. Well, the only reason why is because, you know, they're finding out now with the ELDs that we have to stop when we run out of time. And there's so many truckers on the shoulders of the road because, you know, they don't allow you a safe haven unless the roads are, you know, really bad snowing conditions. Sure. And so you got to stop just wherever. And the truck stops, a lot of these old timers, they don't like driving at night. And they start filling up the truck stops at 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and when we roll in at midnight, 1 o'clock, there is there's absolutely no parking. Then we see a pickup truck with a little five by 10 U-Haul and it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> all right. In all, in all fairness, Renee, I'm, I'm one of those guys that drives till 1am, 2am. So I definitely didn't take out uh, any spaces from the early birds when I do it. You know, I, I prefer to drive at night cause I'll be the only one out there cause Same everybody here. else can't see and, and they're parked. And so I'd rather be out there at night, but then it all depends on when I got loaded. Cause I'm only allowed 11 hours of drive time. And so when I, get close to running out i gotta find a place to pull over all right one more uh, one more question uh, from the uh, trucker expert here no we're going more because i have a whole alaska okay. section right. well, well this is all right this will be a good dovetail into the into uh, the alaska section okay all right so uh, i'm coming out of uh, denver going westbound on i-70 and i'm starting to get to the top of the pass and it's a full-on freaking whiteout and i can't see five feet in front of me there's nowhere to pull over I'm in a all-wheel drive Grand Cherokee, obviously great, you know, all-weather vehicle for this sort of thing, but I'm doing like 25 miles an hour, and I can't see the lane markers. I can barely see the reflectors of where the edge of the road is. I'm in the slow lane, just doing my best to move forward. And how much traffic is on the left and right of you? There's no traffic. It's the middle of the night. Okay. And a big rig passes me at 70 miles an hour, uphill, in a blizzard, and I'm thinking... How the hell? Like, I can't even see. I'm afraid of falling off the road. Is it because that guy's 80,000 pounds, Renee? He just is fearless or he knows that route? What allows that truck to magically uh, go past? The same thing happened to me in Alaska. Actually, Whitehorse, Canada. I think it was in Whitehorse, somewhere around there. And we're scared. I'm literally with hey, I, at white that point, knuckling in, in the I, whiteout. I, I was actually scared, and we're pulled over all the way, yeah. and we're doing maybe like a mile an hour. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm and, only going as fast as I can because yeah, I don't right want now. to get hit from behind. Yeah, because there's no visibility. And here comes a big rig, and I'm like, I mean, God bless him. That dude's on it. But I'm thinking, damn, son. So what? What allows the, that confidence in the trucker? 
So yes and yes. The question you asked me is it because of the weight? Sure. Yes, and is, is it because he's familiar with that road? Yes. He, you know, he's obviously been on that route. You know, that's a dedicated route. He knows it. He has it memorized. He knows where all the turns are at, and and that's the way those guys drive. There, there have been there have been times where I should have got paid by Canada, the, the state of Canada for plowing their roads. And it was just because I had good traction. My tires were nice and warm and I kept going and I never chained up, you know? And, and so, and I, and here I am plowing the, 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 the snow with my front bumper. There was, you know, 10, 12 inches of snow on the ground and I had good traction. I just kept going. And so, yeah, when you're, you know, you're 80,000 pounds and, and the weight is distributed, right. And you got 12,000 on your steer axles, and you got good rubber and you know your rubber you, you know you're good and see temperature plays effect in all that the temperature is our bible i mean you got to know it, when the colder the better the colder the temperature the negative degrees you're going to have a lot better traction you know the 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 warmer then it's going to be just like you know the the wet snow the what you're you know what you're that blizzard depending on the temperature of it that's when you're going to have really good traction on your tires or it's just going to be wet and you're still going to have good traction but you don't want to be doing that where it's wet snow and it on top of frozen roads because right. that's going to be you know that's black ice. That's slick, that's and the scary you know the sun stuff. don't even have to be out. How yeah, do, and, and how do you tell when you're on black ice? I mean, I, I know it sounds dumb because, but you, what I, I we found ourselves in, in Alaska and northern Canada on black ice a lot, and we would have to go in four wheel drive mode and then start. We would just start wandering slowly, you know, angularly across the a lane and go, oh crap, you know. So, how yeah, do, I pin can't it to win it. I can't imagine doing that in a big rig or you know with a Renee and Goliath doing. 65 70 miles an hour and all of a sudden he just starts drifting slowly across the better lane. than right. drifting well, uh and seeing your trailer pass you yeah true right well you gotta you gotta know your rig but when he said uh white horse that's the yukon uh and, and which, which they don't even consider themselves canadian the the yukon because it's a territory but anyhow um in a big truck you got what we call a squall handle, which is a trailer brake, and you and you lightly apply that and see what's going on in your mirrors on how the trailer is affected. If it stays going straight, then you got good traction on the road. You can slowly tap on your brake and kind of feel it, you know, to know how how it's doing. But like I said, the temperature, your digital gauge is going to tell you everything, and you 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 want you're going to always keep close eye on that. But as far as a uh, you know, uh, keeping in four wheel drive, I keep Goliath in four wheel drive even in the summertime if I'm climbing. You know. When I'm in California and I'm going, you know, Truckee or uh, uh, the Grapevine, and I'm 46,000 pounds, I put in four-wheel drive, so the front axles helping me climb those hills, you know. And I'll do, I'll be doing 3,700 RPMs coming down the backside at 60 miles an hour with the engine exhaust brake on, and it's holding me, and I'm never even t- tapping the brake, you know. And I'm just praying that there's not a police officer at the bottom of the, of the hill because I'm, <laughs> you know, almost speeding at that point for California. But, uh, you know, I, I usually get away with 63 miles an hour. But, no, keep it in four-wheel drive. And I've had a lot of truck drivers call me up, and they have – and I don't know if you're familiar with truckers, but they have what they call an interaxle differential lock. And you can engage that, and, and a lot of people only use it when they get stuck, and then they disengage it. Kind of like in the old days when you had four-wheel drive, your front axle was geared different from your rear axle, so you only engage the four-wheel drive when you got stuck where nowadays you can put in four-wheel drive and run all winter in a new vehicle, and you could do that in a semi, but a lot of people don't realize that. So they'll call me and ask me, hey, the roads are crappy, you know, can I? I go, yeah, engage that. And, and I said, and run it all winter long. And you, you can engage it and disengage it at 40, 50 miles an hour. You just don't want to do it when the wheels are spinning, you know, when you're peeling out, no different than your four-wheel drive, you know, you got to be in neutral or park, you know, four low and all that kind of stuff. But 
the same thing on a big truck and our trucks in Alaska, we actually have lockers, full lockers, you know, front and rear axle lockers and, uh, you know, interaxle differential. And not only do we have engine brakes, Jake brakes, we have engine, engine retarders too. And so, you know, cause we're, we're, our trucks in Alaska are 21, 25,000 pounds. The semis here in the States, they're, you know, 16, 17,000 pounds, the lighter, the more cargo they can haul. And so, you know, and that's why you'll see some of these outfits that run the super singles on, on the, on the big trucks and on the trailers. And I don't know if you understand what, what that's about, the super single no. versus. Yeah, instead of having duels, you got the big fat tires on the back. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah, kind of like a, it, not, not dump trucks, uh, cement trucks I've seen like that on, Like a Mack right? truck or something like that. Yeah, yeah okay. a cement truck will have them on the steer axle, but you'll see over the road trucks have them on the trailer and on the drive axles. And and I've had so many guys ask me, why do they do that? You know, and Yeah, and, I always thought it was weird it. because I thought it would be better to have multiple tires from the standpoint of – if one it, blows, it you have you still exactly. have a safety net. Yeah, see, we don't do it in Alaska because we don't have truck stops like you do here. Every you know, every two or three miles, there's a truck stop or a tire repair guy. You know, tire service and all that. The reason why they run the super singles here in the states is because instead of instead of having eight drive tires and you have four with the super singles, that's a thousand pounds more weight per axle because you're getting rid of two wheels, two tires on each axle. So that's a thousand pounds per axle on the on the tractor and a thousand pounds per axle on the trailer. So that's four thousand pounds more cargo you're able to haul, and you're only able to haul eighty thousand. But now you can put four thousand more pounds of cargo because you lessen your your tear weight by four thousand by getting rid of those other four four wheels and tires. And I've heard on, the cost is actually similar or more expensive same. with the with the super single and the big wheel. Really, uh, it is. It, it's grocery it's grocery companies that run them because they're you know they're they have all you know a dedicated route uh auto parts stores that that run those type of tires but you know you're not going to see heavy haul guys heavy haul guys will run the super singles on the steers because that's a sixteen thousand pound axle with those bigger tires but you'll see them with the, a lift axle and that gives them sixty thousand on that tractor and then you know depending on if they have a lift axle on the trailer that's sixty thousand there too and Anyhow, that, but uh, so yeah, it's better to have multiple tires because if you have a flat, you have seven tires, you can still keep going to the next truck stop. Where you have a super single, you have a flat, you're, you're done. You're on the side of the road. What was your first previous truck, I should say, before the uh, GMC? Uh, Chevy SS Super Sport, all-wheel drive. <laughs> you, you didn't expect that, did yeah, you? Yeah, cool, cool truck, but uh, not quite uh, set up for hot shotting. Nope, not at all. I guess, nope, now hold on was... a second, you are not technically a hotshot because you have, I mean, Northern Cross Transportation, is a, it's a transportation company, obviously. I get, what would, what's that line kind of like, you're a hotshot, is it under 20,000 pounds and you're you're a you're a trucking company, you're a transport company because you're over? Like, where does that line, where do you feel comfortable calling yourself or not calling yourself a quote-unquote hotshot? Well, anybody in a pickup is considered a hotshot, whether you're non-CDL or CDL, you're, you're a hotshot because that's just, you know, you're, you're not a, I'm still commercial. I, I have the same regulations and guidelines as a big truck in, in my, in my dually as I would if, if I had my big truck, the, the insurance, the, the drug testing, the ELD, everything is the same across the board. The only thing is I don't have a sleeper, so I can't log sleeper berth like I could if I was in a big truck. So I have to mark it as off duty. In, in the dually. Do you have truckers at truck stops? Uh, you know, we're, we're making fun of me for being the a-hole at the uh, big truck pump or we're taking up a slot next to the big trucks. 
Do you ever have them give you the jaundiced eye at uh, at the truck stop until they find out how much you're actually hauling? Or do you have guys walking uh, up going, dude? Or, or are they jealous because you have a luxurious Denali and they're stuck in some old- Day cab, yeah, uh, yeah. Cascadia or something. <laughs> oh, it's it's funny. It's uh, it's quite the opposite. I get that that uh, that look from other hotshots that are trying to get into the industry that aren't set up right, but the truckers- you know, they pay me respect because they can tell just by looking at my truck. If you're, you know, there's a lot of guys that I call steering wheel holders. They just hold a steering wheel and they go down the road and they know nothing of the industry. They like just the, the new guys like, in the automatic transmission semis. Exactly. I mean, these guys are wearing flip-flops and headsets. And, you know, this industry, you need to be wearing boots and blue jeans and a button-down shirt. These guys are thinking they're on vacation. They they got luggage that they're rolling around into the truck stop to take a shower. And, you know, they're, they're just steering wheel holders. They have no idea of what those gauges are doing in their truck. They don't, they, they don't even know how to monitor them or, you know, and, and half these new trucks anymore, it's all computerized. They got rid of you know, unless it's a Peterbilt, the Western Star, or Kenworth that have, you know, differential gauges and barometers and everything else, fuel pressure, you know, all that stuff. You know, that's a real truck. But all these other Freightliners and all these other other trucks out here, they're they're just, you know, <laughs> uh, grocery getters. I mean, you know, steering wheel holder guys that get behind the wheels and they're automatics, you know, and they're, they're for husband and wife team drivers. So they put in drive and go. They they eliminate the guesswork on what gear they need to be in when they're climbing and, and cause they don't know how to downshift when they're descending, you know, and you know, they, just, they don't know how to split gears, flow gears and, you know, all that stuff that I learned to do, you know, um, back when I was 14 years old, I mean, my mom promised my dad promised my mom that, you know, he, uh, he would wait till we were 18 years old to drive truck. And, and here I am, you know, 14, 15 years old. And I'm like, dad, you know, and he's falling asleep and he, you know, and his, he would always talk, just looking inside, just looking inside and I'm keeping him awake. And, uh, he always made me wear a white t-shirt underneath and I didn't understand why. And when he got in the truck, he'd take down his button, button down shirt and he'd hang it and he'd drive, you know, with, with his white t-shirt on. Cause we're in Texas out there and it's hot. And so, you know, got the AC going and, and that day that I was waking him up, we're coming out of Houston, going back to Texas, San Antonio. And, uh, and I kept waking him up. He goes, you got your shirt on? I go, yeah. He pulls over and says, all right, come on over. And so I jumped into the driver's seat and I'm pulling a 53 foot reefer trailer and, and I'm in a 379 extended hood, uh, Peterbilt, you know, yeah. it was a, it was a, you know, I'm driving and he's like 55, stay alive, double nickel, you know? And he said, whatever you do, don't tell your mother, you know? And I'm like, right. <laughs> you know, and we, as soon as we walk into the house, my mom looks at my dad and she says, you know, you told me you were never going to let him drive till he was 18. And he looks at me. I, I didn't say nothing. She goes, he, he didn't have to. I could tell with the shit and grin on his face. you know. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, honey, you know, I was falling asleep. I'd been up 72 hours. So he took over, you know, and that's why we're home now, you know. So I learned to drive when I was 15 years old, you know, a, a big truck. And there was a 13 speed transmission, you know, and so. So I, and then before that, I got to move it around the driveway and things like that. But no, I actually drove it across, you know, from Houston to San Antonio. And so for so, a 15 year old, that was a big deal. So I'm third generation. So I got 2 million miles under my belt. When I try to help these guys, it's not because I think I know how to do it. I've been doing it for an awful long time. And so these, these, these creature comforts, the automatic transmission, the, all the digital gauges and all that stuff that are designed to help the driver are really in the long term gonna cause problems for the industry is that your interpretation uh it's not causing problems it's just these guys 
it's like driving a you know a minivan i mean they get in it and they go i mean they don't even monitor their mirrors they don't even know what's behind them uh, how, how to work on that reefer unit they rely on every truck stop and everybody they're not they're not uh, macgyver you know you got to have a little macgyver in you just like you guys that go off-roading i mean you got to know something otherwise you're going to be out there and you're going to be like that guy in 27 hour 120 cutting his arm off because you're stuck and you don't know what to do i mean i got a i got a leatherman on i got two pocket knives i got a you know a phoenix flashlight a, a thousand uh, lumen flash i mean i my sister laughs every time she always tells me you know when her husband's around, empty out your pockets, let them see everything that you have. And I, I weigh like an extra 20 pounds of all the gear that I carry in my pockets, <laughs> you know, because, you know, I was the Boy Scout that wasn't a Boy Scout. You know, I, I can, going through the Alaska Highway, if somebody's broke down, I can get you running, you know. I, I you know, I can think outside the box. So, you know, you got to have some MacGyver in you. Otherwise, you know, this is the wrong industry for you. And I used to be a CDL instructor and, uh the women picked it up a lot better than some of these guys. And, and I would ask them, what did you do before this? And, you know, when was a dentist or an attorney, whatever. And it, this is just their dream to do this. And it's, you know, and I wish I could tell them, go back to bed and come up with another dream because I mean, you know, you suck at this and you can't even back up. <laughs> you know, they think they, they can't even back up a boat trailer, you know, much less a 53 foot semi, you know? And so, all right. Yeah, so, so no, th- they can tell by looking at my rig. They start looking at it and they get closer to it and they see all my USDOT numbers, MC numbers, so they know I'm legit and, and all my letters on my truck are reflective. And so as they get closer and they start seeing my 19 and a half inch wheels and, and, I, and I'm running, uh, you know, Michelin's the same brand that they're running. I used to have Continentals on there and they're, they're like, dude, those are the same tires I got on my truck, you know? And I said, yeah, you know, these are added up to 125 pounds. Oh, I got mine are 110, you know, are you serious? And, you know, these are 16. So they're like, wow, this is legit, man. This is you know, I'm, I'm wanting to get out of trucking. This is something I've been wanting to do, but I haven't had a chance to talk to one of you guys. And next thing you know, you know, an hour has gone by and I'm handing them a business card. And, you know, here you go. Call me whenever you want. And, and there's just a lot of guys that I, I help and coordinate. And, and like, like I said, it's the same credential, same requirements as a big truck. You just don't have. So in my truck, instead of $10,000 a month in fuel in the big truck, which I would put $750 every every other day. And instead of 11 gallons of oil, I'm putting three gallons of oil. So instead of the $10,000 a month in fuel, it's 5,000 a month in fuel. Instead of 10 tires, it's six tires. So it's less overhead, you know? So, you know, and I'm, when I had my big truck, I was making $1.56, $1.65 a mile. With my hot shot, I don't go down the road for less than $2 a mile. And like this 16 wide load was paying $20,000 you know, and I was going six, uh, 1600 miles, you know, and, uh, and that's cause you know, the, the out of route miles, but, uh, you know, 20, but again, that 20,000, I got to pay all the logistics of the, you know, escorts and, and their hotels and all that stuff. So afterwards, you know, I'm left with after the logistics. Renee, let's talk about, um, a couple, couple questions. What's the furthest you've gone? And then tell us a little bit about Northern Cross Transport. So it's an interesting logo, which I want you to tell home in the backstory on. Well, I wanted something, you know, uh, associated with Alaska and the Northern Cross. It's actually known as the, the backbone of the Milky Way. And, and you'll find the Northern Cross in the Milky Way. And so, and I got the stars on the truck, the logo, you know, the cross. And, and, uh, so, from the color to the name, I, you know, I put it together while living in Alaska coming down here. And, and I came down here just because there's more freight here, you know, 
going east coast west going all over the place and there would have been just sticking around you know in alaska and so plus i came down here because my daughter was down here and you know she needed some help so i came down here to to do that Uh, so what's the furthest you've gone and then i want to hear about suggestions for people guys who want to get guys or gals who want to get into the industry i've taken loads from alaska all the way down to florida so i'm at uh 5500 miles wow when I was visiting with you there, uh, Lightning, I took a load from California and I took it all the way up to New Brunswick, and that one paid me 20000 as well. Cool. New Brunswick, uh, Canada, so just north of uh, New York there. So there's good money in it. There's definitely good oh, money. Yeah. Well, as long as you don't have to deadhead 5,500 miles yeah, well, home. Well, I mean, there's enough money in it to retire yeah. in, uh, in in England <laughs> and, and make their food better. Renee, how do you get your jobs? Is there like a website you go and you try and figure out where you're going to head next and pick up a load going in that direction? Or how does that usually work? Load boards. Uh, you pay you know monthly for these load boards. They're 30 to $150 a month. And there's different companies that have load boards. And, and see, I'm hooked up with all the big guns. And when I say big guns, I'm talking like J.B. Hunt. Uh, Knight, is Landstar, that one? Knight, okay. Knight, Landstar, CR England. You know, so I'm hooked up with all these guys. So that, what that means is I'm a approved carrier. I've already hauled for them. So they know my credentials are in their system. And so when they post a, a load on the board, I can I can call and get that load. And I know there's uh, some shows on, on cable, uh, Load Wars. You know, I don't do any of that stuff where you bid on them and, you know, no, they, they post a, a load on the board and, and it tells you how much it pays and, and, that, and that's all negotiable. I'll call the broker and, I, you know, I'll tell them, hey, that, that's not enough money because of the deadhead or this, I'm here and I got to go 180 miles, go get it. And so, you know, I usually get anywhere between four, six, eight hundred dollars more than what he originally posted the, board, the load for. And, and again, I'll do it if it's the longest, it's over two dollars a mile. And since I own, I have my own authority, I don't work for anybody. And so I own the truck and the trailer. So, you know, I make 97 percent of what goes on that trailer. And the reason why I say 97 percent is because I have what they call a factoring company. So I, I have a factory company who works for me, and when I I, I uh, deliver that load, I upload the BOL, the, the bill of lading, and submit it to my factory company. They pay me 24 hours after I deliver it, and then they chase after the money. So that costs 3% for them to, to pay me you know, what the load cost, you know, what it paid to, to haul, to deliver that load, they chase after the money and that money could be 30, 60, 90 days. So they're going after the broker, you know, the, the shipper and getting, and getting paid. Meanwhile, 24 hours later, I get paid. And for me, that's worth the 3%. That's like if you went to a check cashing place, cause you don't have a bank account and go pay 3% to go cash a check, you know, back in the old days. And so I'm paying this company 3%, you know, just so that I get the money in my account the next day. What is the, uh, the most important product or or item most valuable no most important product or items that you wouldn't leave home for a job without whether it's your leatherman or the computer system where you're doing your electronic logs what is the, the 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 best tool i guess that you you can't leave behind okay well my dually weighs 10 six so I have a lot of gear in my truck, so I'm in a stock dually weighs, you know, eight to 9,000 pounds. I'm 10.6 because of all the upgrades that I've done to the truck and because the amount of gear that I carry. I carry a rifle. I carry a 1911, uh, and then all my tools. I got a, I got a air compressor, a 45-amp air compressor. Um, um, 
that I, you know you plug to your battery plus my truck has air right so there's a compressor there i got the locomotive train horn so i got two <laughs> two air compressors underneath where the spare tire goes so i have an air fitting at my bumper so i can plug in an, an air hose and air up my tires or use an impact because of those two vr air compressors that are under there and two five gallon air tanks plus i got a smitty built 45 amp air compressor that i you know like i said i can plug to the battery if i needed to and then my trailer's got as air right and it's got a compressor so i don't leave without having a plug kit an air compressor and all my sockets metric standards and my gear wrenches and, and I got a snap-on impact gun, a half-inch and a three-eighths, you know, and a 20-ton bottle jack and a piece of steel plate to put underneath that bottle jack because when I first was out here, I had a flat tire and the jack sunk in the asphalt and I couldn't let it down, so I had to drive forward just to get it, you know, to, to get out from underneath it because I couldn't loosen it because it had sunk an inch into the asphalt. So that's where the steel plate comes in handy because I was too heavy and it was hot out and it had sunk into the asphalt. So... You know, a plug kit, and and I when I mean a plug kit, a blackjack kit. You know, one that's not going to break in the palm of your hand when you're trying to ream a tire, especially a sixteen you know, ply and, tire. Well, and that's the other thing. The reason why I run sixteens, I I've yet I've yet to plug my tires. I mean, I can run over a bucket of nails, and that's exactly how I tell people in my podcast. You know, get a sixteen ply because you you can run over a bucket of nails. You know, but even my 14 ply on the trailer, I've, I aired them up that day that I bought them and I never even checked the tire pressure. I mean, I can, I can tell just by looking at them or kicking them, but you know, and, and, and I, that's why I got rid of my spare tire and these guys that carry two, three, four spare, I'm like, dude, just get rid of your spare. That's, that's a hundred pounds per tire that you're carrying. You know, you don't need it. You know, if you buy good tires, you might, you might have a spare tire for the trailer. Cause whatever you pick, you know, you lift up with the truck, you're going to pick it up on the trailer, but you know, you're just carrying extra weight you don't need. Every truck I've ever owned, I've never even used a spare tire, and uh, it's dry rotted by the time you did need it. You know, and the other thing with hot shots that I try to educate them, these guys, because they listen to dispatchers, and, you know, dispatchers that don't know the industry, I mean, they're good with computers, but they don't understand how all this works and weight and all that. They'll tell a, a hot shot, get a 100-gallon auxiliary fuel tank. And, and when they talk to me, I'm like, you know, that's the worst thing you can do, you know. I said, get a 40, 50-gallon tank. I got a 40-gallon transfer flow. was $3,000. These guys buy these, you know, four or $500, you know, uh, gravity-fed fuel tanks, and they're buying the 100-gallon tanks. And it's like, you know, they don't get it. But the reason why I'm saying it's not a good idea is because when you fill it up and you fill up your truck, now you got a thousand pounds of fuel that you're carrying. So that's a thousand pounds less cargo where I can put, I used to be able to put 23 on my trailer because I weighed 23,000. Now I weigh 24,000, my empty tear weight with my truck and trailer. I'm 24,000. So I can only put 22 on the trailer. And if you have a thousand pounds of fuel, that's a thousand pounds less of cargo you're going to haul. So you need to get out and exercise and stretch your legs so you don't get a blood clot because I've already done that in the big truck because of all the miles that I was driving and not getting out. So a 40-gallon is just plenty. And a buddy of mine who had a 100-gallon tank and it was full, UPS guy pulled out in front of him. He rear-rented the UPS guy, and he had a 3500 Dodge, and it was a, 29, it was a 2020 and, uh, or 19, 1920. Anyhow, it buckled his frame two inches because of the inertia and the weight of the fuel in the truck bed. And now he's like, I should have listened to you. And that was before you started mentoring me. He goes, but now I will get a 40 or 50. I'm not going to do the 100. So that extra weight is not a good idea. You, you, it, it cuts into your cargo. So a 40 or 50 is just fine. You need to get out and get fuel. You know, 
that hundred gallon. Unless people you're going cross country just with your truck, that's fine. Yeah, but if pe- you're people be don't hauling, think about that stuff. You know what I mean? Like they they think nope. about well, you don't think about the human side. You just think about. What's going to be best for the truck? Well, getting the you money. Don't, you and don't all that even stuff. think about the stuff that Renee is talking about, and that's that every pound of extra crap you have is one less pound of cargo that you can haul. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like even like stop. You're a human that's driving many many hours. You need to get out and stretch, and a fuel stop is that excuse to do it. Like that's exactly. that's personal experience that he's giving that he's bestowing on young guys. You're like, no, if I could have 500 gallons of fuel, I would, so I don't have to stop. And he's like, no, you're human and you need to stop, right? I just think it's interesting. Yeah. I'm just amazed I, that uh, that Renee has uh, shared all of this info with us. I almost want to say this is our toasted. Finally. No, it's not our toasted. We can't. You don't think we no, can no, get no, off the no, hook no, for no, that? No, because we didn't even ask about <laughs> his trailer and and the fact why a gooseneck over a fifth wheel and a this and a that. Like that's the whole thing. That's and true. Ed, we didn't. Talk, I mean, we didn't ask his actual load technique. I mean, he dropped a few nuggets here yeah. and there, but like we don't have. Well, maybe you need to go to uh, uh, Northern underscore Cross underscore Transport on Instagram where you can get uh, more of Renee's nuggets of knowledge. We kind of been all over the board, kind of a smorgasbord of information from England, uh, everything else. But no. You, you know, I there's guys that have a year or two experience and they're, and they're selling they're selling this information, you know, to, to guys on Instagram, you know, whether it's a book or you call me, I give you, you know, a hundred dollars. I give you an, an hour of my time and give you this. And I've been doing it for free. I do videos and, you know, and, and then I've had guys repeat what I say, put it in a video, then they tag me and then I block and delete them because it's like, <laughs> dude, I just gave you all that information. Yeah. And now you're trying to, you know. And like I said earlier, I'm not telling you because I think that's how it works. I'm telling you because that's how it works. You know, you can, you can, you know, you can take it to the bank. You know, I've been doing this long enough to know right from wrong. And I can tell by looking at a piece of equipment, I can tell you how much it weighs. That's why when you were asking me when I pull up, well, those truck drivers that are in the Peterbilt's and the Kenworth's and they see me, they, they respect what I have. It's, it's the, the steering wheel holders that don't get it that, you know, look at me and, uh, you know, and, and, and walk right by me and ignore me, whatever, and don't even wave and, you know, this, this, now. But that's a guy who's broke down and he's the one calling, you know, uh, a tire service guy because he don't know how to do his own tire, you know, where I, I can inflate it using ether and then I got, you know, the compressor to do the rest, you know, where a lot of guys don't know how to do that, you know. And on a semi, I, I can change out the tire. If it's one of the outside ones without even removing it, unbolting it from the rim, you know, just taking the tire off and putting one on. Just, you know, put a 4x4 four four on the inside dual and get that outside one off the ground and, and change it without even busting a lug nut, you know. But these guys don't know how to do that kind of stuff. It's just a paycheck. You know, they don't work on the cars. And I was actually in, in a diesel program in high school. We're the only uh, – there was only two schools in the Northeast Independent School District there in San Antonio that had diesel mechanics. Everybody else had automotive. And and I took a, an 871 blower to competition, and I and I took a, uh, a 1971 Mercedes diesel engine to competition another year, you know, and a Rusa Master injection pump, a 5.7, which was the auto diesel, you know, 350 uh, diesel. And so I took that injection pump for competition. And so, you know, I learned how to do all that stuff. And so that's why, you know, I have a little MacGyver in me and, and can can do this stuff, you know, on the fly and, and get you going. Where these other guys are relying on AAA and calling after hour services to come tow them and pick them up. So the moral of the story is what I'm hearing here, Holman, is that if you are looking to hire transport service, Northern 
Blackcrosstransport.com. All the contact info is there. If you want advice, you go on Instagram and you hit up our man Renee at northern underscore cross underscore transport or just, just go on there and search and it'll pop right up. And now, if you're looking for culinary advice, I think Instagram might also be a spot for it, but you're going to have to probably DM him for that. Yeah, I mean, uh, when do you head to England? Can we uh, get you on one more time before you cross the pond? Absolutely. Uh, that's going to be a while just because they still not allowing Americans over and so forth. But I got to get my house in Alaska sold first and then uh, sell my business. And I did have a potential buyer, but uh, uh, he wasn't. He's wanting to put other drivers under my authority and blemish my my clean record of 18 years that i've had my own authority and i wasn't i said you can buy it and then i can you know be a consultant but you're not putting drivers underneath my my authority because they, they do something wrong and then it, i cross a scale and i got a bullseye on my target i mean when the scales are open and i go through i get green lighted i mean i've been into a scale two times in over in two and a half years when I get there, they have cameras and they look up your MC numbers, your DOT numbers that are on the on the vehicle, and they see mine. They look mine up, and you know I got no tickets, violations, anything, no incidences, and they give me a green light and I go. So, well, more reason to hire NCT Northern Cross Transport, or if, if you've you just, got something, if to, you're just uh, interested in in the topic again. Yeah. Uh, at Northern underscore Cross Transport, and uh, Renee, thank you so much for making the time because. This is a topic that we've wanted to uh, dive deep with somebody for some time, and our listeners keep asking for uh, more towing information. And you know, we I think we barely scratched the surface, so we'd love to have you come back on because I, I still have a page of questions I'd love to uh, ask you, and we still didn't even get into your days as an ice road trucker. So I, I think we can circle back and do that part as two. well. Yeah, yeah, part two. Okay, awesome. Oh, absolutely, anytime. All right, I would love that. Thank you, Renee. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Appreciate right. it. Thank Bye, you very much. Talk right. to you soon. Talk Be safe you, out there. Thanks. Yes, sir. Will do. Thanks. All right. Bye. Home question for you. Yeah. What's news in trucks? No, no, no. You told me I couldn't use that. I just think it's funny that I'm using it. All right. Go for it. What's, What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? News! Oh, wait. No, it's the ah. Awesome. You don't do news, you do ah. That was awful. I mean, that was they, that was awful. Well, you know what else is awful? No. Well, remember we uh, were invited to a certain company and used as pawns in their scheme to lure investors in, and then afterwards there was a big scandal, and the inviter was blown out of his company that he founded, and... There was a whole deal with, like, maybe there was some vapor going on. And Are you referring to Nikola, the company accused of uh, vaporware? Um, and so what are you saying, honestly? That I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the story. I have been living under a rock producing videos at my day job, and I have not been on social media much lately. Yeah. Did you know that um, the Badger... The truck that you and I were excited about when we spoke to Trevor Milton, the CEO of said company. And the one that uh, Diesel Dave Sparks was backing. Yeah. Well, investors, uh, they got a letter last week, and I have it right here. Well, the kind of letter like uh, that comes from your teacher when you're failing algebra? It says, update, Badger Reservation. Dear Badger Reservation holder, as Nicola remains committed to enhancing shareholder value, you know that can't be good, right? 
For the long term, we recognize that being nimble often requires a pivot in our business model based on the industry, macro oh, no. environment. Hold on a second. The word pivot technology, is not always good. And other factors to realize the most value-enhancing path forward. Such a pivot came into play as we acquired more facts and data about building the Badger with GM. Although the Badger captivated the hearts of consumers and the Nikola team alike, the business case proved to not be core to our heavy trucks and hydrogen business model. Therefore, we will not be working with GM on the Badger and will be refunding all pre-order deposits as we have always stated that the Nikola Badger program required an OEM partnership. No. Nikola has initiated the refund on your pre-order deposit. No action is needed on your part. Please note each financial institution varies. It could take from one to 10 business days for the credit to be processed. However, it may be longer based on your financial institution. Please check with your bank to confirm the timing. Should you have any additional questions, please reach out to us at support at NikolaMotor.com. From the entire Nikola team, thank you for your enthusiasm and support of the Badger program. We are grateful for your shared vision in creating a sustainable future for all. Sincerely, Mark Russell, Nikola, CEO. And I noticed what's interesting it was Nikola Motor when we were there. Apparently, mm-hmm. they're now calling themselves Nikola Corporation. No. Which sounds so very corporate. Yeah. <laughs> and corporate. evil, kind of <laughs> like that. Um, I also wonder, what does that mean for the Wave and the NZT? Because those don't sound core to semi-trucks either. Good luck with that. <laughs> I don't know is the answer because I uh-huh. haven't heard. And I'm guessing that... Nikola is going to position themselves as a long-haul truck company and all these wacky, weird, and wonderful little uh, announcements that we've uh, grown to love and then be horribly disappointed by. <laughs> so anything, uh, anything consumer-related is just squashed. I, I guess. Yeah. At least the Badger is until we hear more. So that was a... Uh, That's a buzzkill. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a rotten cherry on top of your Sunday. Yeah, but you know what? When you and I were getting the news out of Silicon Valley, when uh, those writers were having a field day with Trevor, and he was coming on our show and others, yeah, uh, well, not actually not that many other shows, just really just ours, yeah, and saying, hey, this guy, we've been accused of vaporware, but it's real, and see it for yourselves. Well, yeah. still not feeling great about that whole experience. I mean, it was cool to be there. Nice building with not much in it, other than a really bitchin' CNC machine. That's, no, uh, that no, I wouldn't say there was nothing in it. No, that's we not true. That's for, not we fair. went for a ride in the semi. We got to go inside the design studio. A lot of cool they, clay models. They have amazing, amazing technology and equipment in that building. So we, we even went what, for a ride in the NZT. It, I, so I know. what are they going to do with it? Oh. Well, I'm sure they're that's their headquarters. They're not stopping needing a headquarters. A lot of headquarters. Not really. That's a small, no. tiny for automotive company. Okay. By automotive standards. Well, I don't know. I'm done talking about it. All right. I yeah. just thought I'd blow that uh, by you, and uh, I'm over it, clearly. All right. Well, then I'll uh, add this next story if you've uh, if you've heard about it. No. No, I did not. I was wondering if uh, you might have been privy to the fact that Ram dropped a little bit of uh, 2021 Ram HD truck news today. Oh, no. No, I haven't heard it. And don't worry, guys. I'm not going to play these no's for the next 80 episodes. I'm just on a little kick, so don't. It's my. Just let me it's have some fun. It's replacing other stuff that was getting us in trouble, so I'm fine with it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Ram. Back to Ram. 21 yeah, Ram. So they drop. They're dropping a bomb of knowledge. No. I mean, maybe not knowledge, but how about news? Oh yeah, that's what I meant. News. Hey, what's the uh, Ford uh, six seven uh, torque number now? Uh, thousand four. 
1050? 10.50 is what I meant to say. So what's the uh, RAM output? Uh, I got, well, they're going to up it, so 10.60? How about... 1,075 pound-feet of torque, putting them in the number one position once again in the diesel oh truck market for God. output. Give me that number again. 1,075 pound-feet of torque. Dang. Uh, Dang. Horse- uh, horsepower stays the same at 400, but because they had that extra torque, uh, guess what else they uh, did? Well, not only do they... Uh, Get in front of Ford at 10.50 and way in front of GM at 9.10. But Ram also takes the gooseneck towing crown. The latest Super Duty uh, pulled in front recently with 37,000 pound rating. Um, Ram managed to increase their HD trucks by about 2,000 pounds, netting them a max rating for gooseneck towing at 37,100. Well done. Well done. So what what enabled them to bump up the uh, the tow rating? Well, they've got a uh, revised uh, design for the gooseneck hitch, and of course the uh, truck was uh, all new last year with a upgraded frame and fully boxed rails and a big old rear axle. Uh, so I I think they were planning on building a truck that could tow this uh, this amount of weight, and uh, you know maybe uh, at this point with uh, GM only at only at thirty six thousand. <laughs> Maybe uh, Renee needs to look at the. I was uh, going to say, you know what? I mean, he's going to push. He's going to double whatever they say, right? Uh, the HD truck keeps the same conventional towing capacity. Uh, it was at twenty three thousand pounds. Uh, Ford still manages to beat them with a twenty four thousand two hundred pound bumper pull tow. So, uh, GM twenty thousand. It ain't stopping Renee. No, I, <laughs> I know that's, that's for sure. I wonder if something like this makes him uh, a guy like that uh, more interested in a in a Ram, or is he just like, nah, I got this. Guess we should have done news before we did the interview. Huh? I suppose so. <laughs> we did it out of order. Whoops. Uh, new images of the 2022 Toyota Tundra have been spied with it towing is with it way too much tongue weight. Is it? Ba- oh, way too much tongue weight. Look at That's the spy photo. Look at the rear axle. Let me say that. Oh yeah, it's squatted. <laughs> oh hot damn. Is it? Is it wrong that there's a guy uh, who lives about four houses down from me who has a beautiful, what's that Nardo gray color looking? Cement. Cement. Is that what it is with the Toyota? Uh, Toyota. It's a brand new Tundra, and he's got uh, black rhino wheels on it. I think on like 33s-ish, something like that. Okay. Probably. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. And I don't know that I've ever loved a Toyota truck the way I love this one. Well, uh, the it looks it the, the lines on this truck are, the, it looks big like a full size, but it doesn't look, but it's not as big as a full size. So I'm not sure where it is. It's called a midsize. It's a midsize, but I don't know. It's <laughs> are it looks you bigger just than a midsize. are you having a stream of consciousness right now? I just don't know. I guess I'm uncomfortable. What is happening to you? I, I'm uncomfortable liking a Toyota this much. Okay, Jesus, you could have just said that. I did. It just was long. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. I don't recall asking for a really, 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 Question. Really boring story. My God. Yeah. Don't understand. No one cares. Yeah, no one cares. No one cares about my story. I'm sorry. Move on. weird. Anyway, the 2022 Tundra is supposed to be coming out with a twin turbo V6 and has very blocky styling from some of the spy photos. So we'll see what that looks like in in real life. More importantly, 
Guess what else has been seen out in the wild testing lately? How about that badass new 2021 Nissan Frontier? Oh, really? That Show me. One that I may have seen a in year person. ago. Oh, let me stretch over here. Hold on a second. Well, it's hard to tell because it's fully wrapped, so I don't know really what it looks like. I mean, I can- I do. Oh, you do? Yeah. It's great. Embargo. Can't wait to talk about it on this show. When? Soon. When is soon? Uh, when Nissan says I can. They didn't give you a date? Not yet. Damn it. Working on it. Embargo. I'm just saying that the uh, the design of the new Frontier mm-hmm. blow people away. Not oh, what, really? Not what you're expecting. Really? Interior? One of the best midsize uh, truck interiors out there. It will be. Can you give me a hint as to why? Uh, because Nissan cares about this market, and uh, no, no, no. But I mean, like, can you tell me if it's if it's seats, if it's infotainment, is nope. it headliner? Can't tell you any of those things. It's not the headliner. I can just <laughs> tell you that you will like what you see when you see it. Okay. If you like that cement gray thing down the street from you, this yeah. might blow your mind. Really? I'm just saying, I was really impressed. And on that note, hey, time to get to uh, some <laughs> inbox. You email, yeah. All right, Holman is going through his, that is, I think, the biggest stack of email we've had to date. Right. Yeah, you guys have been really good with uh, sending us emails. Sorry we haven't read all of them on the air, but we uh, we try. Uh, okay, so, so far I have just one and you have seven. I think that's a little lopsided. I, know I, I think uh, you need to start reading. I re- okay, all right, I will start reading this one. Uh, Deleting your truck will cause high death rates for COVID-19 patients uh, from Hoagie Hog 78 Light Rod and Holy Man, just thought I'd send you this ridiculous article from the New York Times. The article claims, and I quote, that altered pickup trucks will emit about 5,000 excess tons of industrial soot, also known as particulate matter, which is linked to respiratory diseases and higher death rates for COVID-19 patients. Now, I'm sure a very small percent of people that buy a $70,000 diesel truck are deleting their emissions. For the New York Times to say that deleting your truck causes higher death rates for COVID-19 patients is just a new low. I have a 2016 Ram 2500 Cummins and a G56 manual transmission, and it is staying stock, trying to do my best not to kill more COVID-19 patients. Oh, and Lightning, I'm upset you didn't offer a discount code for an unnamed place you work at on Black Friday. I would love to buy one of those diff covers you guys have been working on. Thanks, Dave from Delaware. Five stars. Five star review! Five stars! Mounted parameters. Mounted parameters! Anna Finnegan, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. So, yeah, that uh, New York Times piece, it was, uh, was a hit job for sure. Listen, we do not advocate deleting. Uh, it's, you know, you, if you get caught, EPA's cracking down. Corey can tell you all about it. They're coming after... A lot of shops next, quite frankly, and then they're going to come down and go after consumers. So we can't advocate it. Although it's your truck, do what you want. Um, I I agree that this uh, the story was way off the deep end, super alarmist, and uh, not even worth the read. So thank you. For Unfortunately, people are reading it. That's what sucks. Uh, Greg Madden writes twenty twenty one Jeep JL. He had uh, written a uh, 
emailed me earlier asking about what I use in my Jeep for sound deadening. So I recommended the DEI uh, product that I installed in mine. And he says, Holman, I went with the DEI and just installed it this morning. It was easy to install. And wow, what a difference it made. Thanks again for recommending it. So, Greg, you're welcome. No, uh, wait, can, can I pause you there? Is that um, that's the uh, the hot tar on, uh, on aluminum foil backing? No, it's not. What is it? It's uh, acoustic foam. Oh, okay. So if you go over to fourwheeler.com and you uh, or you Google four-wheeler how to quiet your Wrangler JL, uh, there's a story I wrote on it. And I think I had like a two to three decibel drop in uh, interior volume. Really? Which is I did a pretty, not know that incredible. it's DEI, like old directed electronics, like owners of a Viper Alarm, that DEI? No, no. DEI, they uh, design engineering. They are a uh, company that does acoustic uh, products and heat shield products. Huh. Lightning and Holman, I stumbled across your show about a year and a half ago when searching for my next truck. I had an 03 Chevy 1500 Z71 for 13 years and needed a new truck, always been a Chevy and a Jeep guy. So I was debating between the big three diesel options and your show with the big guys really helped me decide what I wanted. Banks, GM, Ram. I even considered a Ford. I'm sorry for that omission. I went with the 2020 Duramax LTZ Z71. Yeah, I know you all don't think it's got the best look, but pictured below, my little one loves it. After listening to those specific diesel episodes, I binged your shows and caught up. I do believe that you recognize my passion again for trucks that has slipped over the years due to life, military, college, family, house, etc. Last bit, my mail carrier delivers mail in right-hand drive international scouts built for the postal service. I've asked him over the years about them, and he finally came over, and I have something you might like. I took my oldest 11-year-old girl with me, and we stumbled upon a 1976 Scout Traveler, 118-inch wheelbase. And after we got it going and drove it around a little bit, I'm going to bring it home to our family. I just want to thank you again for the community that you've started, and you might want to get Dan from the Binder Boneyard on the show. He knows Scouts, and he's an OG in the community. I want some scout content now from y'all. Five stars, Kevin from Paradise, Texas. Congratulations, you have earned five stars. Ooh, got a long one here from Tyler. It says, road trip F-150 data and two questions. Holman and Lightning. Yes, that's uh, definitely what it says. Nope. This is a very long email, so be... This is a very long email, so be warned. While traveling back to see my family for Thanksgiving and drop off my cat during a complicated move, I decided to count F-150s to put some numbers to your disagreement. Um, I feel like he's bearing the headline. I want to know more about his cat and his complicated move. But no, I digress. I no, we don't want to hear about cats. My trip took me from 30 miles Is north there of Cincinnati to 30 miles stop, west stop, of St. Louis and back. Stop, 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 So basically, stop. Inter- oh, man. No, no, it's a long I email. We don't stop. have time for I you. I need to tell you. That cats are about as untruck an animal as it gets. All right. There's going to be truck drivers who have cats that are over-the-road cats that are going to send you hate mail. I guarantee it. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. My trip took me from 30 miles north of Cincinnati to 30 miles west of St. Louis and back. So basically Interstate 70 from Indy to St. Louis. Trip was on Thanksgiving Day since the small family gathering was moved. All they did was count modified and stock F-150s based on appearance. All F-150s were considered, all years and generations, all locations too. But if I drove past a dealership or car hauler, I didn't count them. Things I considered modifications are lifted and lowered and everything in between, wheels, tires, ah, I like what he did there, appearance, grills, lights, graphics, not company graphics though, and bumpers, things I did not consider modifications are bed cap, tonneau, in bed, toolbox, work rack, 
window tint. Oh, right there, I disagree with him. But hey, the bed cap cover toolbox simply make up for a truck's inherent lack of secure storage, and a work rack on a work truck doesn't automatically make it an enthusiast truck. That's like saying a plumber driving a van is a van enthusiast. This is up for debate, but until there's a definitive list put out by you two, these are my standards. I broke the trip up into sections to make it easier on me to keep track of. I don't believe there's anything to be gleaned from the broken down data, but it's there. Couple of things to note. I saw more F-150s than are accounted for here, but due to the concrete dividers within cities, I could not see wheels, tires on those trucks, so they could not be judged. So, he has This a- is one hell of a deep dive in, in this topic. All right, so he has a uh, table here. He says, from Cincy to Indy, 105 stock, 26 modified. From Indy to Illinois, 65 stock, 16 modified. From Illinois to Missouri, 106 to 19. Uh, from Missouri to the rents, 18 and 5. Total, 294 stock and 66 modified, bringing the percentage to 18%. It says, based on my observations only, 18% of F-150s are enthusiast modified. I did air quotes there. This is much more in line with Lightning's 25 guess than Holman's 75, but I believe both of you are right, just right at different points in time. There are many, many trim packages offered these days. That means the average truck buyer, who in the past may have had to buy new wheels and tires or bumpers to personalize their truck, can now buy a specific trim package. That includes those things. Up until 10 to 15 years ago, the bevy of trim packages wasn't a thing, which is probably why Holman believes most are modified. Well, and I'm also including including any modification, not just quote unquote enthusiast modifications. Anyway, so he kind of goes into his his rationale for that, and he says there are issues with my data. I'm not an expert on F-150 trim packages, so some trucks may have been miscategorized. Most of the trucks had chrome wheels. I know generally what trim packages come with black wheels. Same goes for grills. Some had black, some had chrome, and some had paint match. A student of F-150s would be much better at this. Highway speeds compounded these issues. It's really hard to tell specifics when you're driving 70. Anyway. I don't believe the data I collect is total junk. It points out the difficulties in running such a study and provides a jumping-off point. A much better way to go about doing this would be to observe F-150s at various big-box stores since you can get a good look at them and really tell if they've been modified. General observations. Only seven substantially lifted more than 11 kit trucks and only two lowered trucks. Very few OBS F-150s, maybe five. Most modifications were wheels or tires. Fleet work trucks did not make up a large percentage, very few work racks. So that was his uh, F-150 study, and he still has two questions for us. What is the best type of transmission to tow with? I know a guy who will never own a rig with an automatic, but these days you can only buy heavy-duty trucks with autos. I assume some of that is market conditions, but are modern automatic transmissions better at towing the manuals? Also, do you have any welder recommendations for a 110-220-volt MIG-TIG welder? I'm moving to a house with a real garage soon. I'll be in the market for a welder. It might also make a good topic for an industry guest. Keep up the work. Really enjoy the show. Thanks. That was from our friend Tyler Hutchins. Wow. Wow. So first off, a genuine thank you for, A, listening to the podcast close enough that you were so motivated to actually do your own study while on the road. That's pretty amazing. Uh, And I... So I find it interesting that I came to the table with... I had the beef, right? I was the one that had the you know, the issue with the F-150s. And then you then made the stipulations about the modifications that, like, I said, oh, they're not that many modified. And you said they're all modified. And then- I did not say they're all modified. But but you create, you're better at creating these these lines of demarcation than I am. The I line just, of demarcation is, is but, it stock or not? Very simple. But, see, I, didn't feel, but see, I didn't, I don't feel that way. 
And so yours, you're you're trying to make it black and white, and I was going off more of like a, a hunch and a feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think mine is based on his data. Uh-huh. Mine is it's more in line. Like if, if you, I don't I don't want to consider the work trucks and those mods. I that's the feeling I had. The enthusiasts. Well, that's, that's fine. I didn't say enthusiasts aren't. Well, that's but that's what I was trying to convey for the last twenty odd episodes where enthusiasts are not modifying f-150s you know as as at, at the rate that you think they are okay that's all i was saying that's a lot of saying okay i don't tell you it was a long way to say that i like his study i'm grateful it's a great and study it's, and it's not just because it kind of backs up what i'm saying is the further we go down this and talk uh-huh. about this the more people are helping me understand my observations. Sometimes I'm on the highway and I'm making all these observations. For example, we're always talking about headlights. You and I are always seeing people driving down the highway without their headlights on. And I'm making all these observations, but I truly don't know the reason that I'm seeing this glut of people driving freaking late model vehicles without their headlights on. And so we have all these theories, but until someone helps us understand it, they're just a hunch, a theory. That's funny. I don't recall asking for a really, 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 boring story. My God. Don't understand. No one cares. Oh, we didn't even answer his questions. So here's, can I give an opinion? Go ahead. 2016 Ram with a stick shift and a 6.7 liter Cummins. 56 or was that a NV4500? Don't know. Don't know. I know that they offer uh, they offered a stick in 2016, and that's all I know. If you want a big heavy duty, and then we well, didn't it, ask when the last time they offered a stick. But that's was. really the last one you can get. Yes, but that's not what that's not what the question was. What was it then? Are modern day automatic transmissions better at towing than a manual? I would say probably yes. yes. Yeah, I would say they are the too. Te- it's yes. It, the reason manuals aren't offered is because of the market, but the real reason is. There's so much more control the manufacturer has over the complete performance of the drivetrain with an automatic because they can control everything from, you know, um, defueling and torque output and uh, protection of the drivetrain components, which you just can't do with a manual transmission. For example, in some of the trucks and Jeeps that have a manual, there are things that allow them to be more fun off-road because you don't have the nannies kicking in as much because they're not controlling the automatic. Well, in the diesel market, it's sort of the same thing because the automatic gives the OE a much broader level of control over the uh, the entire vehicle. This might be a, a, a dumb question. When you're shifting, you're losing some momentum. I mean, I mean, yes, there are some guys that shift really fast, but you are losing some momentum. And in a... In an automatic, in a good automatic, even though there's some engine derate during a shift, it still has momentum. There's still uh, there's still torque being applied through the driveline where there's zero during a shift. So is there something to be said for that, Holman? I mean, I guess so. I think that uh, obviously with uh, manual transmission, you don't have as many gears as a modern automatic. So there's a lot more flexibility in the powertrain. You've got massive transmission coolers. You've got... Uh, you don't have to worry about torque output the way you do with a, a manual and shock loads going through if somebody misses a shift or or dumps the clutch or any of those things. And yes, uh, a 2016 was a G56. So I just okay. double checked to make sure I wasn't going crazy. The other question was a garage welder. And I haven't looked at them in a long time. So 
actually can't answer that question. So I know from uh, I know that uh, Lincoln. Well, the pros. It seems like I'm not. I, I am as far from a, a welder as anyone on the planet. But I have a lot of quite a few friends that are professional welders, and they prefer Miller, and then some Esob guys, and then Lincoln, and that's like it. And I know that Lincoln's got a new one and Miller's got quite a bevy. So I would just go and get reviews and talk to guys who do it for a living. Holman and I don't. So that's what I would do. And if you want, we could get, you know, should we get uh, my buddy Rick Wright on the, on the horn? Rick has been a fabricator for years. Did my roof rack. You saw the work he did. Yeah, beautiful. It is, he does railings in airports and all kinds of amazing would, would stuff. Would love to have a welder on the show. Uh, yeah, Rick is amazing. Okay. Let's, let's get him scheduled. All right. 2021 Ford F-150 is the subject line from Joel Swaim. Uh, hey, whole man and light queen. Nope. I'm uh, not going to, no, those are not our names. Not our, well, I mean, mine is my name. No, it's not because it's W-H-O-L-E. It's oh, whole man. Well, I, yeah. I am a whole man. Like whole Ask wheat. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I may have missed it on an earlier podcast. If so, you can drag me to the episode. But has there been any chat between the two of you chuckleheads about the 2021 F-150? Uh, and if not, can you elaborate more on it? Specifically, the Power Boost model. Huh. Um, Jason Gonderman from Truck Trend and Four Wheeler just drove them. We should just have him on because uh, he actually drove them. And I have not been in a new uh, 21 F-150 yet. Uh, so let's do that. I will make, uh, make that Line happen. him up because apparently the F-150 is a popular truck from what I understand. Uh, I heard it's very popular to modify. No, that that's not the case. Hmm. All right, if you have an email, send it to us, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. You got a question, you got a comment, send it to us, and we will read it on the show. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. The Truck Show, the Truck Show, the Truck Show. Oh, oh. And in the next episode, we're going to be playing a little game we like to call Know Your Note. That is where Holman and I... Listen to the exhaust note from your vehicle and try and guess what it is, what engine's in it, etc. And you can either record that to your phone and then send it to us as an email at truckshowpodcast.gmail.com or you can do it live, leave it to us as a voicemail at our five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. That's 657-205-6105. And of course, uh, don't forget to hit us up on our socials at LBC Lighting, at Sean P. Holman, or together at Truck Show Podcast. And uh, we'd love to have your five-star reviews. Head over to the Apple Podcast app where you can leave us a, uh, hopefully, a five-star review. And uh, let the world know how uh, how much fun the show is, because it helps with our uh, discoverability. Is it fun? It is fun. This is a, uh, a fun program. A weekly, <laughs> a weekly ration of fun in a time that needs it. I don't think as the host we're allowed to call it fun. No, we're not allowed to call it cool, but we can call it fun. We can? We cannot self-proclaim cool, but we absolutely can self-proclaim fun. Huh. That's, that's the rules. I didn't know that we had the authorization to be, to, to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I promise you, by the time we hit a thousand five-star reviews, mm-hmm. uh, we hopefully will be out of this mess. We can have a party. Are we getting close? Uh, well, I mean, we're at like 850 or something. So come on, people. Yeah, guys. Help a brother out here. Seriously. Or two brothers. Yeah, we would honestly love your five-star review. And not only does it help the show, but if you write a humorous one, we'll read it. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, 
Warts and all. We'll read them. Warts and all? Warts and all. But please don't leave us any more warts. We, we, <laughs> no. need, the, we need the five-star ones, not the ugly ones. Yeah, yeah. The good news is we have very few warts. And they're on our back, like under the shirt, so you can't see it. Under the furry, hairy back? Mine's not furry. <laughs> My wife shaves it. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, uh, we got to thank Nissan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that just cracked me up. Go ahead. No, just, no, finish. just don't don't mind me. I'm just thanking our presenting sponsor. No, I, I'm gonna just for drink my... hanging out with us because yeah. of our professionalism mm-hmm. and our attention to detail uh-huh. and our commitment to excellence. Mm-hmm. And I was just gonna thank them because uh, they make a hell of a half ton truck called the Nissan yep. Titan, mm-hmm. half ton plus the Nissan Titan XD, and also the midsize Frontier and the NV line of commercial vans. And as you much, mean, uh, I mean the Frontier that's coming out that we are not allowed to talk about, and it's all wrapped in camo. And you, well, I'm talking uh, about the current one it, yeah. you can buy now. Not about the 21 that we'll talk about soon. Oh, I see. Okay, gotcha. All right. Just saying, if you want a really, really, really solid, reliable, good truck. And you get a lot of value. Well, now's your chance. So head on down to your Nissan dealer or to NissanUSA.com or uh, hang out. Keep listening to the show because uh, I think we got some Frontier news soon. I'm hoping. That'll be nice. Fingers crossed. Just like we're going to have some decked news at some point. Everything is embargoed right now. Yeah. Uh, hopefully uh, we can uh, talk about uh, our deck stuff because mm-hmm. that's going to be awesome. Embargo. People are going to be uh, both surprised and delighted about our relationship with Decked. And bummed? Will any be bummed? Bummed? Why? Because we're bad actors. Shh, we can't talk about that yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Soon. Okay. Soon. Decked.com. Well, what, what we can talk about is the beautiful sliding drawer system for any of your uh, trucks or vans. That's right. Decked.com. So you know what isn't embargoed? Uh, no, I don't. How about uh, Duralast's new line of elite brake pads? You mean like the OE equivalent or premium quality brake pads, such as the Duralast brake pads, the Duralast gold brake pads, or the Duralast elite brake pads? That's right. The new elite brake pads offer a new advanced signature hex coating that provides an additional transfer layer that provides smooth stops, low dust, and boost stopping power. So if you've got those nice rims on your truck, you don't have to be worrying about cleaning all the brake pad dust all the time with the elites. That's good because, man, I have to clean my wheels way too often. Well, good. So if you're looking to find out more information on Duralast line of brake pad products, head over to DuralastParts.com. Can I just pick them up at my local AutoZone? You could do that, too. All right. One last thing before we close the show, and that's we haven't promoted our uh, line of apparel in a while. So we have a line of apparel? Yes. You mean the one at like motortrend.store.com or store.motortrend.com I mean, or something like that? Sure, but if you just uh, keep saying that over and over again and give out the wrong one, then nobody's going to be able to find us. What is the right one? The right one is store.motortrend.com and in the search box, put in truck show podcast. Because we're not in the menu. <laughs> I don't know if they fixed that. Uh, we should probably go there and find out. We're not worthy of the menu. You you drop down. You just got you got to search because we're on like the 80th page of merch. What Finnegan's Garage is way above ours. Is that what I you're mean, saying? Everything's way above ours. Uh, but if you love the Truck Show podcast, uh-huh. you can get a tumbler for your uh, hot and cold drinks. Mm-hmm. You can get a Truck Show podcast T-shirt. Mm-hmm. High quality. It's a uh, it's a 4.5 ounce pre-shrunk, 100% ring spun cotton, 90/10 cotton polyester. Mix and uh, it's oh, weird. now wait a minute. That's that's a like a lighter weight summertime shirt. That's more like a like a Volcom shirt. What you know are you what I'm be, saying? Are you gonna be uh, picky now that we? Uh, have I'm shirts? just saying it. That th- th- so that's a, a shirt that you would love, but I wouldn't because it doesn't cover up man boobs. You know, we'll cover up your uh, man boobs. Uh, a truck show podcast laser etched stainless steel coffee mug in your right hand, and a truck show podcast ceramic mug in your left hand. I see. Gotcha. Uh, that will work. I guess. Uh, I guess what I'm mad about though. 
is that we get like three coffee cups and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And if you head over to the uh, Roadkill store, they've got uh, t-shirts, a sticker, a couple of uh, posters, uh, another t-shirt, some stickers, a magnet, a uh, mug, a, a mouse pad. How do they get the mouse pad and we don't? They get more t-shirts, another t-shirt, a third t-shirt, a fifth t-shirt, some hats. We don't even have a hat. You know the answer? What? They're good, and we're not. Oh, well, can't really argue with that. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like to open the show, leave a message on the five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. Lightning. Holman. Congratulations. This show was better than most, thanks to your entertaining and informative guest. However, your performances were marginal as usual.